Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. I'm with Jones here. We're so glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Derek Ackland of 810 Sports and ESPN Kansas City as we'll talk about the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoff picture heading into the divisional round. And we'll also talk some Big 12 hoops with Derek when he joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Post Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. And our top full story of the week as well, coming up at the end of today's show. Thomas Bridges joins me right now. Tom, it is always good to hear from you, my friend, as uh, we uh, begin uh, week two of uh, 2022 here on the Jones. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, always a good start to the new year. And, um, you know, getting to watch playoff football, college football may be over, but... Uh, you know, the NFL playoffs are just starting to heat up, so all's well for at least the next month. Yeah, I got to tell you, uh, our buddy T.J. Reeves, he uh, had me on his podcast this week on a Three Dog Thursday. And this past weekend I had of going to the Chiefs playoff game at Arrowhead and then going to the Oklahoma-Kansas game in Norman on a Tuesday night, he said it was uh, – the weekend of Jones that we went from the summer of Jones to the weekend of Jones. Uh, I had a heck of a time and it was real cool. Tom, I got to bring my dad, a lifelong Steeler fan to his first ever Steelers game. And of course it was big Ben's last, his retirement party. And we had a great time. He was still happy to be there and he likes the chiefs too. So he had a great time despite the outcome, but uh, that was a special moment. I, I was really glad that I could do that for my dad, that I could bring him there, and uh, that we could have a good time there at Arrowhead and and, and experience that playoff game together. That's something that uh, we'll be talking about, I'm sure, for a long time. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. And, and you know, you could take your dad to his first Steelers game is, uh, is pretty cool. Um, can't lie. Uh, me and my dad have been to Chiefs-Rams game. Granted, it was preseason, but – Oh, we still talk about that because my dad's obviously a Chiefs fan. Um, so I'm sure maybe I'll get old Johnny to go to Rams Chiefs next season. Uh, and Jones, you know, I am going to go ahead and and I'm going to Tampa this weekend. So you got your playoff dose and I'm fixing to get mine this weekend in Tampa Bay. Uh, go see the GOAT and uh, my Rams for the first time in 10 years. Now, I thought this was a secret. This is coming out of the back. Well, I mean, you know, maybe they listened to it. Maybe the people I was going to keep a secret from, I wasn't going to tell them. I, you know. So this is a listen- test to see if they're listening or not. 
Exactly. Exactly. If they listen to the show, then they'll find out. And if they don't, then uh, the first time they'll know is when I send them a picture on Saturday in front of Raymond James. Uh, very spur of the moment thing of me to do. But you now you've gotten to see Tom Brady, haven't you? Um, I don't think I can say I have seen Tom Brady in person. No. You know, so how, part of it was that. And, uh, you know, another part, the flight was so cheap that I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, so super, I feel like super cheap flights right now, especially to Tampa. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure in Nebraska where you're at, it's cold, but it was 15 degrees with a wind chill of about eight this morning when I headed to the office. Um, so I will welcome the warmer weather if just, but for a weekend. I like that. That sounds great. Uh, certainly have it for you that, uh, you got that opportunity that, uh, you'll be, uh, going to Tampa and having a good time. And I had a great time at that, uh, OUKU game in Norman. I got to tell you, Tom, uh, it was awesome to see that game come down to the end. Christian Brown, uh, hits the game winner for Kansas with just a little bit of time left. And, and, you know, you and I, we, we've been to Lloyd Noble Center several times uh, over the years and such. And, and the, the big knock on that place has been that there's just no energy, that it's not very loud, that it's not very passionate there at Norman. But I got to tell you, uh, Tuesday night, it was probably about 80% full and it was loud for much of the game. The fans were into it. Fans were involved. And, and uh, you know, there were some KU fans there, but the OU fans uh, – turned out well uh it, it was refreshing uh you know I, i've been to games there tom that were sold out and weren't as loud as what they were tuesday night that was the loudest i've ever heard it so uh you know it, it's one thing to go to these games it's a whole nother deal when you go to a great atmosphere and and uh i've been fortunate enough to see some great atmospheres the last couple of days yeah and uh, aren't you you're this is not your only ku game uh upcoming it sounds like you're going to a couple of them yeah, uh, next week I will be making my return to Allen Fieldhouse. I have not been able to see a game at Allen Fieldhouse since before the pandemic. And so I'll be back there next Monday night. I'll see KU take on a uh, very good Texas Tech team on a big Monday, the first big Monday of the year. And so that'll be fun to get back there. And, you know, there's no place like home, as they say. And so I'm looking forward to being in the atmosphere and enjoying that game on uh, Monday night. So that should be good to, to see KU. And, and uh, it's a whole new, another perspective, Tom, of, you know, being a fan and such. I know that you've spent most of your time being a fan, but, you know, when I went to that Oklahoma game last week, I've been to so many KU games over the years, and that was the first time I've ever gotten to enjoy a KU game and drink a cold beer. I got to tell you, the fan life ain't so bad. It's the best life most of the time. Now, the tickets are obviously paid, you know, the, the tickets are coming out of your own pocket, but it's, uh, you know, especially a good game and you get to drink cold beer, there's there's nothing like it. Right. Even if it's like 13 bucks, it it's still worth it just to have a cold oh, beer and watch. Yeah. I mean, I, you know how many cold beers I'm going to have this Sunday? In the uh, I, nice I might... heat of Tampa? Right. I'm going to, well, it's supposed to be only 62. So I'll probably be wearing a jacket, but I, you know, listen, I'll drink a cold beer in hell and I'll drink cold beer in the Antarctica. There's, there's nothing like it. Uh, it could be hot. It could be freaking hot or freaking cold. And 
you know, cold beer either way still hits. Tell you what, I'll drink cold beer for every touchdown the Rams score. So either they're going to get me drunk or I'll be as sober as a Jay. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. That's great. Uh, one more thing, Tom. Um, have you spent much time in the bar scene in Norman at all? You know, I have not. I have actually never partied in Norman. So I was, as I mentioned, I was in Norman Tuesday nights and I went around campus corner because after the game, we got a little hideaway pizza because you can't go wrong with hideaway. Right. And I go to the hideaway and as we're coming out of the hideaway pizza on Tuesday night at like 10 o'clock, there was this bar, it was called The Porch and they were turned up like it was a Saturday night and they had music popping and it was packed and there was a line outside the building, like a block long of sorts. I mean, uh, I, I need some of these OU people to tell me what the porch is like. I need to go check out the porch sometime. I haven't heard of the porch. Um, and I've heard it's good, but unfortunately, you know, I've never partied in Norman. Uh, you know, I might make my debut this upcoming year when OSU goes to Norman to play for Bedlam, but that is still to be determined. Maybe you and I need to go hit up the porch and, you know, disrupt some things around there. We should. I would be I would be down for that. Maybe get Billy involved if it's if it's for Bedlam. Now, you know, when when I looked at that place, the, the porch, it kind of reminded me of the Hawk at KU, which uh, you know, if you're a Kansas person, you know that the Hawk is usually where the, the underage go, you know, the 18, 19 year olds, whatever, uh, that you know, try to find a way to, to drink underage of some sorts. I look at that place, the porch, and I'm sure there were some minors there, you know, some, you know, probably some freshmen or sophomores um, as, you know, these college campuses do with fake IDs and such. I wonder at 25, Tom, am I too old now to be going to these college bars, these these places like the porch or something? Am I too old for that yet? Well, if you're too old, then I'm definitely too old because every time I'm in Stillwater, I go straight to the strip. (laughs) <laughs> It'll, i mean i'll be going i'll be going to washington street and stillwater until i'm almost dead whether that be at 40 or 80 or 100 i'll be up until my last day we're gonna have to drag you out of i'll there. be walking in yeah i'll be walking in a copper penny or college bar or willies there's nothing gonna stop me there a lot yeah you're not gonna that's maybe it's different in norman but i feel like you know game, well at least game days I feel like there shouldn't, you know, there's not really a, I, don't, I mean, I, the last, what, Bedlam, I went into, I'm trying to think which ones I went into. I went into Copper Penny. Um, I went into Willie's and I went to College Bar. And when I went in there, I talked, everybody I really talked to was older than me. So, and I, at that point, I've been 29. So I think we're safe. Okay. Okay. So we're going to go turn up at the porch in Norman and uh, go make some friends. That's on the list of things to do. Some uh, activities, as they say. Tom, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, NFL playoffs. Uh, first off, uh, this past week of uh, what happened, uh, you saw it uh, all start on Saturday with the uh, Bengals uh, pulling off that win against the Raiders, came down to the wire. The Raiders were – one play away from taking that game to overtime, but ultimately the Bengals pulled it off. The 
Bills dominate the New England Patriots. Josh Allen, there was questions about how he would do in cold weather if uh, he needed Viagra or not. Whatever he used. Uh, I mean, he had enough. He had enough stamina for the second half. He was balling so hard. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> with the five touchdowns that he had, he was terrific. The Patriots have played bad football the last few weeks, and uh, they did not look like the same team that they were a few months ago, or you know, even a couple, even you know, three or four weeks ago. That they've really just fallen off. Uh, the Bills certainly had their way. You move ahead to Sunday. And the first game of the day, the Bucs dominate the Eagles. This Eagles team, nobody thought was going to make the playoffs this year that had a chance at all. Um, and you know what? They still find a way into the postseason. They have their quarterback of the future in Jalen Hurts. They have that established. They found a, a very good rookie receiver in Devonta Smith. Uh, the Eagles, nothing to hang their hats on as far as getting eliminated early. The Bucs. We know that they have all sorts of issues when it comes to injuries and suspensions and, you know, guys like Antonio Brown getting released, but they still put it all together and had a nice performance. Cowboys took on the 49ers and the Cowboys did what they always do in the playoffs and find a way to falter. They ran into a 49ers team that has played great football the last few weeks and took them to town. And that game was not as close as what the score may have indicated. The 49ers physically dominated that football game Sunday night. The game I was at the chiefs started out slow, uh, but once they got rolling, they were terrific and it looked they ran like out well. of fire. Yeah. They, they ran out of touchdown fireworks. Uh, they had to save some for the post game celebration, but uh, when it got to the second quarter and beyond, they looked like a well-oiled machine. I was very impressed with what the uh, chiefs put together. The Steelers, big Ben's last game. They knew they were overmatched going in. It was bound to be ugly. And then on, on uh, Monday night, the first ever Monday night wild card game, the Rams looked awesome. And the Rams, you know, it's been up and down throughout the year this year. But this looked like the Rams team that we saw early on. That's when, the Rams team I was expecting all season. Right. This looks like the Rams team that dominated through the first, you know, four or five weeks when Matt Stafford was playing at an MVP level. And Cam Akers, with him back, they ran the ball really well. The Cardinals really faltered the last few weeks. Um, you know, a lot of that falls on Cliff Kingsbury for, uh, you know, his coaching and some of the decisions he made. Uh, his guys weren't prepared. They weren't ready to go. And there you have it. That sets us up this week with the Bills taking on the Chiefs, the Titans taking on the Bengals. And then on the NFC side, it is uh, the Packers, going up against the Niners and the Rams going up against the Bucks. So with all that being said, I'm just kind of recapping it all and such. Tom, what stood out to you from this wild card weekend here? Um, I mean, obviously I can go with the homer pick and say the Rams because I did not expect them to play um, in that fashion. I was actually – I was very nervous for that game. Um, so I won't touch on that too much because we know how that ended. Um thing that stood out to me the most, probably Josh Allen and the Bills laying that ass whoop. Um, I did not – I was super – you know, I was excited for – I was excited for Niners-Cowboys because I knew that was going to be a close game. And I I picked the Niners. I figured they would be able to pull it out, and they did. Um, but the Bills laying that ass whoop on the Patriots, that, that was shocking. 
that was maybe the most shocking playoff game in terms of score. Yeah, 47 to 17. And for me, the shock, Tom, was just as much about the Bills as it was the Patriots. We, we have known the Patriots haven't played well the last few weeks, but the Bills, it's been such a roller coaster year. And knowing Josh Allen's track record in, uh, in cold weather games, that to me was the big takeaway was not only just uh, the, the Patriots folding like they did, but the fact that the Bills stepped up to that fashion, especially Josh Allen, I did not see that coming. Right. And not only that, it was one of the coldest games like ever. Like, you know, he's going to have another cold weather game this weekend, but not near as cold as it was in Buffalo. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, obviously I'll be <clears throat> in Tampa for the Rams bucks. I am more, I will be very interested in chiefs bills. I, I think that game, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the bills being a roller coaster of a team. Uh, I'd be interested if, if the highs are still high for Buffalo or if, if we're coming down off the top um, from that from that ass, ass whoop. Um, what do they say? The divisional round teams that score over 40, what, 42 points or 40 points in the against their opponent in the divisional round or something like uh, three and 12 all time in the divisional round. Uh, you got two teams that put up 42 plus. What's going to happen? Right, something's got to give as uh, far as that goes. So let's uh, let's look at these games one by one. Let's start out with that Chiefs Bills game that uh, you're talking about there. The Chiefs and the Bills. The Chiefs coming in uh, off that win against Pittsburgh, and for me, the matchup that I'm watching in particular, Tom, is what can the Chiefs pass rush do? Uh, from Chris Jones to uh, you know, everyone else on that, that up front, you know, can they get enough pressure on Josh Allen? Because what we've seen is what it takes to beat the Buffalo Bills is that you have to get Josh Allen to stay in the pocket. You can't let him escape pressure and run for first downs and throw on the run and such. To me, that's what I look at with the Chiefs. The key matchup here for me is what they do to keep Josh Allen in the pocket. If the Chiefs defensive line can contain if Melvin Ingram and Chris Jones and company can get pressure and and keep an eye on Josh Allen, then I think that would be the difference between this game being a win and, and, a, and a loss for the Chiefs here. Yeah, I mean, he, he scampered uh, quite a bit in the Bills-Pats game. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think you have to, one, keep him in the pocket. Um, you know, you have to – I guess the, the word comes down to contain – uh, because if he stays in the pocket and, you know, sure, keep him in the pocket, you can keep him in the pocket all you want. I don't know which poison you want to pick, keep him in the pocket, uh, and let him throw. I think the bills wide receiving core is very underrated. You have Ian McKenzie, Stefan Diggs, um, you have Emmanuel Sanders and their tight end, I think is on the up and up Dawson Knox two touchdowns real quick in that game. Uh, they're, you know, it's, you know, they might not be the flashiest of a group, you know, Diggs being the leader there, but they have, they, oh, I mean, you could throw in dumbass Cole Beasley too, if you wanted, but I, he's a non-factor in my mind. Um, McKenzie's one you got to watch for. He's a speedster, Dawson Knox. Um, he's going to be able to go up and get balls. And then you have a deep shot threat like Diggs. 
um, you know, that, that always finds a way. So for Kansas City, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. You have to con- not only contain Josh Allen and, and, you know, not give up running lanes up the middle or to the sides because he can run, uh, but you also have to pressure him enough to, to force some bad throws uh, because he's, I, he's got an underrated arsenal, I think. The thing that also intrigues me about this, Tom, is that historically speaking, when we've talked about teams that beat the Chiefs, it's usually teams that effectively slow down a game that you know play clock management, that run the football and try to win that way. The Bills, their identity is through their passing game, through Josh Allen and company. I feel like that the Bills offensively you, you still play your game. You still do what you do with Josh Allen and, and Diggs and those guys. Throw the football and, and let her rip that you don't worry about what the Chiefs do offensively. You play your game and, and, and do it the best of your abilities. So don't worry about the clock. Uh, there's no reason why the Bills shouldn't be able to think they can go mano we mano with the, the uh, Chiefs here. I think they can. I think this game is going to be a shootout. I'm thinking like either way, 38, 35, maybe even, you know, 40 at most, maybe 42, 35 type game. Jones, I think it's a, I think it's going to be a shootout. Yeah, I think it will. I think uh, we're in for a, a very uh, intriguing game uh, between these two with uh, points galore. And uh, I would give the edge to the Chiefs, but nothing is going to shock me at all if the Bills find a way to uh, win this game here. Let's sustain the AFC, the Bengals. And the Titans, Derrick Henry has returned to practice this week, and it looks like he's ready to go. And the thing that I would say, too, about this, Tom, as far as from the Titans' perspective, is that you're looking at, you know, so much talk about Derrick Henry and his return and such. And and I get it. You know, Derrick Henry was on track to be an MVP candidate uh, before he ultimately went down and such. But, you know, they have still ran the football well without Derrick Henry when, when he's been out. Uh, I, I would say I would not weigh too much into the Derrick Henry effect. Uh, I would say that, you know, that no matter what, the Bengals are in for a challenge either way, whether it's Derrick Henry or whoever may be running the football because the Titans have proven that's their bread and butter no matter who's back there. Yeah, and I, I think it'll be interesting – um, you know, not so much on Titans offense, uh, but on Titans defense. I think if you can limit what the Bengals can do, you know, obviously Jamar Chase, I think, could be in line for a big day. You know, Titans have obviously got a week, a week of rest and they're in Nashville. Um, it's not like a cross-country trip or anything for Cincinnati. They just go a little further south. Um, so, you know, the Bengals – can put up obviously we've seen it they can put up hella points i don't know how many how many can the titans put up how can their defense slow that Bengals offense down just a wee bit i think that's what it comes down to titans i feel like can you know they can score i think they're going to score their average can they keep you know can they keep the Bengals below that uh i think if titans were to win we're looking at like a a 25 17 game yeah yeah, I think I think you're right about that. Uh, the, the Bengals with with Joe Burrow and company. You know, I love what Joey B has done this year. Jamar Chase has been incredible, and that offense, the way that they've played, it's been great. But 
it, it feels like the weakness of this team is eventually going to catch up to itself. When you have an offensive line that's that bad, that's given up that many sacks, um, it, it's, it's got to catch up with this team eventually. I love what Joe Burrow is doing, but, you know, as Coach Bo has said many times, the Bengals don't deserve Joe Burrow. And I think the reason why we say that now is they don't deserve him because they still don't protect him. I know that was a big deal of them winning a playoff game last week, but the Titans are going to send all the pressure Joe Burrow can handle. And I, I feel bad for him that uh, this team's letting him down. They're not doing their part, uh, you know, holding these defenses up on that end. Uh, Joe Burrow, you, you go up against a, a Titans defense that's underrated that can get pressure. Watch out. Yeah, and I, I think Vrabel is going to have the Titans ready, and I think that's essentially what it is going to come down to. I, th I think Cincinnati, uh, I, you know, you mentioned Derrick Henry effect. I, I'll be shocked to see him come out full force. Maybe he will. You mentioned they ran it fine without him, but you know that if you make the you know make the defense honest and and you got a Derrick Henry you haven't seen in a while, who's you know could be a little rusty or could be rested up. Who knows? Uh, Vrabel, I think, is the difference maker in this game. If the Titans pull out the win, I think it will because be because of Mike Vrabel. I think you're absolutely right about that. Mike Vrabel is one of the top four coaches in this league. Um, you know, he knows what he's doing. He'll come in, prepare it, have his team ready to go. What about Ryan Tannehill? It's been a down year for Tannehill. Um, they still have won football games despite his uh, lack thereof performance-wise. Do you trust Ryan Tannehill in this type of situation, Tom? You know, I, I think somewhat I do. You know, the Bengals defense, not bad. I'm sure they're probably mid-tier. Um, granted, Tannehill, you, you get Julio Jones and, you know, all that comes with that. But he's been injured all year. You have A.J. Brown, who is a top receiver when he's healthy. He's been injured for a majority of the year as well. Uh, you've been playing with essentially nobodies, um, you know, and Derrick Henry goes down. They still find a way to secure the top seed. You know, I think we're either going to get uh, – uh, we're going to get a – well, I don't know about surprising. I think we either get a Tannehill or a really good Tannehill. That's, that's the way I'm leaning towards this. Uh, I, we either get mistake-ridden or mistake-free type situation. I think it's either high or low. Um, you know, I, I think, like I said, I think if the Titans pull this off, I'm looking at like a 20, 24, 17, 25, 17 type game. Uh, I, I think variable is going to have that defense ready and, and to rattle Joe Burrow enough, you know, Burrow's still young, hasn't even played two full seasons total. Um, so be very interesting to see what kind of game plan variable has going in and, and, you know, I, I think if you're the Titans defense, you you worry about Jamar Chase. Uh, we've seen what Jamar was able to do to the Chiefs. He has that big playability and, and can literally turn the tide of a game. Um, I I mean, we'll we will pick it later on, obviously, but uh, I think it kind of it's it's for me it's Vrabel versus Jamar Chase. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Let's uh, let's get to the uh, NFC side now. The Packers taking on the 49ers. This one, I think uh, we talked about earlier how teams that beat the Chiefs in the past usually try to shorten the game and run the football. I think that's what the Niners are going to try to do against this Packers team. 
Jimmy Garoppolo almost cost him the win last week against the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think you want to put the ball in Garoppolo's hands. I think you want to keep it on the ground, run it, and be physical and try to win the battle at the line of scrimmage and see where that goes. Then you want to keep Rodgers off the field as much as possible. And I think the Niners are going to be able to do that to an extent. Um, the Packers defense has not been great this year. I think the Niners will find a way to make this an interesting game. But ultimately, Tom, there's just too many weapons for, for Green Bay here. I mean, this team is, uh, is I think, just too talented for San Francisco. I think they can make it interesting. Kyle Shanahan will have a good game plan. But the, the Packers, they just got dudes. They just got dudes that the Niners don't. Yeah, they do. And, and you know, the the Packers can also run the ball if they so choose. Uh, you know, Devontae Adams, it'd be interesting to see. The the, the Niners have, have been able to, to limit, you know, um, somewhat or survive games against the DK Metcalf, against a Cooper Cup and OBJ, and maybe even on DeAndre Hopkins. They've been able to survive those games. Um, and, and get into the playoffs. The Niners are playing with house money. Uh, unfortunately, it's not their house. Uh, it's not Levi Stadium. It's a Lambo, and it's cold. And you just got to play indoors in Dallas against a team who's notorious for in the bed. Niners are playing with house money. They are if, – if there's – you know, when you, you talk about wild card teams getting to the NFC Championship or, or just the, the conference championship – uh, you know, you, you you think about the Giants um, first and foremost, at least in my mind, when I think of a, a wild card team that didn't win their division, they snuck in the playoffs. You think about the Giants, and I feel the same way about the 49ers. They could upset Green Bay. I don't think they will, but they have it in them. This 49ers team has a hell of a lot of grit, uh, and they don't quit. It's like trying to trying to knock out a crackhead. They just keep coming. And you could you could just give them a blow, and and you know a knockout shot, and they somehow keep coming back, uh, like a bad penny, like a like a scary horror film. That's how I feel about the Niners. I don't think they have enough to do it in Green Bay. If this was in Levi Stadium, I would be very nervous if I was a Packers fan. I think I think Packers win, but I agree with you. I think they the 49ers will find a way. Uh, to make any Packer fan watching be like, oh, shit. That's, that's, that's the – if you're an opposing fan rooting your team on against the Niners, there's at least one time in the whole game you go, oh, shit. That's how it is. That's, that's the Niners. That's, I don't know. They've always, always – they've not always been that team, but they're becoming that team where it's – you don't want to play them. Uh, I think Packers would have much rather had Dallas – how many or, crackheads have you knocked out in your division? I guess the Rams would have been there in that case. How many crackheads have you knocked out in your day? None, but it's more so like a uh, saying. You know, it's uh, they, they keep coming back. You ever seen, the, like, on Cops, and uh, they, they talk about people trying to tase people or get people down who have been on PCP or some kind of hard drug, and the tase does not affect them? You ever seen one of those cop videos? That's that's what it is here with the Niners. I mean, they could get tased five times and still somehow not go down. I, I don't understand. It's not like Kyle Shanahan. He's not a bad coach. He just doesn't feel like that coach the team fights for. 
But maybe, I mean, obviously I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, the Niners have a whole lot of grit. They're nasty. They're dirty. Uh, I don't, I mean, I respect Debo for what he is, but he's a trash talker. Greenlaw on defense is a dirty ass player. They, they just, they play hard nose, smash mouth, physical football. Um, I think Green Bay's going to be fine, but I would not be shocked. I mean, we'll talk about picking later. I think it's pretty obvious that everybody, most people you talk to that are not 49ers fans, if they're betting money, they'll bet Green Bay. Um, and that's the same with me. But I think this game's going to be, you know, I think some people might think 49ers don't have a shot. They have a very real shot to, to upset. Yeah, I mean, they almost beat the Packers earlier this year. That's where we got the how can you not be romantic about football quote from Aaron Rodgers was early on when the uh, Packers won with the Mason Crosby game-winning field goal. Um, Now, what I wonder, too, as far as having the week off goes, the Packers had a lot of momentum. They were playing great. They lost that game against the Lions in Week 18, but they played – mostly their second stringers for uh, the uh, you know second half in that game. So I don't really hold that against them. But things were going so good. You have this break. I don't think that the Packers are going to use that as a disadvantage, come out slow or anything like that. I think they're going to be just fine. If, if one of these two teams that's coming off a bye, whether it's Tennessee or Green Bay, has any chance of coming out sluggish and – you know, coming out slow, I, I would definitely say Tennessee uh, over Green Bay as far as that goes. And Tennessee's got the tougher matchup too. Tennessee uh, will is going to be more desperate between these two teams to try to get a fast start here. Right. I mean, do you think? But you look at the AFC. I mean, the the uh, the tier of teams. You know, if the Chiefs hadn't started out the season slow, the Chiefs have the you know they they have the 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 one seed. Let's be honest. I mean, Tennessee getting the one seed was kind of a gift to them, per se. Uh, I mean, they've to me, Tennessee is a whole lot like the Bills, very up and down, uh, very you know all or nothing type team. I mean, it could have been. I mean, if you if you think about it, I it could have been any one of these teams to get the first round by. Right. Um, so. I mean, it just so happened to, you know, the, the cookie crumbled and, and fell in Nashville and, instead of uh, instead of Kansas City or, you know, Cincinnati or um, wherever else, or Buffalo. Well, um, so, you know, Tennessee by default is going to have the tougher matchup because it's it's so close. I mean, it's, it's weird to think that Tennessee – is is favored obviously but doesn't feel like you know you you compare these teams that have the buys you compare the titans and the packers and which is a lot which is i mean we talked about this before the playoffs started is it scary going to nashville no is it scary going to lambo absolutely in january nonetheless yeah right i mean it's that'd be i'd be scared to go walk in there in june if the rams were playing yeah i'm with you i'm with you Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, move on to uh, the last game, the Rams taking on the Bucs, the game you'll be at, Tom, as uh, we've seen some really good games the last year or two between these franchises with the uh, Rams winning on a Monday night last year and 
And uh, this year, of course, they won back in early in the year. They're, they're coming out party of sorts as they ended the Bucks winning streak dating back to last year. This has been the Bucks kryptonite has been the Rams. And the Rams played so much better last week, and they have found their footing with OBJ. They have the run game going with Cam Akers here. The Bucs played good last week, but we know that they're shorthanded. But even with that being said, Tom, we talk about the Bucs being shorthanded. This team's got depth. You know, sure, they, they're down a few starters here and there, but the guys behind them are good players. You know, I mean, look at that, that tight end core, for example. Okay, you might be without a receiver or two, but between Gronk, O.J. Howard, and Cameron Bray, all three of those guys are starting tight ends in the NFL, and they're three deep. No other team in the league is, is three deep, and not many are even two deep, but – they are there in Tampa Bay, and Tom Brady uses those guys to his advantage and knows, you know, knows how to work the tight end so well here. Um, I, I think that it is a bit overblown. They had the, the idea of the Bucs being shorthanded when you look at the depth that they have, and, and it's the playoffs. Everybody's dinged up here. But, you know, the, the, the consensus is leaning towards Tampa Bay. But the way that the Rams have played – uh, in that game against Arizona, and you see them starting to click. Cam Akers coming back, Odell playing well. Uh, I, I'm I'm leaning towards LA here in this situation, Tom. I, am I crazy to to go against Tom Brady in, in a postseason game at home? Uh, maybe just a little bit, um, but you know, sometimes the playoffs take crazy. That's what it takes, right? The Bucks are down. Um, I don't know. His name starts with a W. His last name starts with a W. Werfs, maybe, on their offensive line. That offensive line is not the best anyway. Not the best anyway. The Rams, however, they, obviously they have Sebastian Joseph Day, Greg Gaines, Aaron Donald, and Leonard Floyd on the front line. That is one of, if not the best front lines in all of football. If they can get to Brady the Rams will win the game. If they cannot, the Rams will lose the game. That's what it comes down to. The running backs for Tampa are hurt or banged up. However, they do did pretty much say that Leonard Fournette will play. Um, that could be the difference for Tampa Bay because if they don't, if they can't run the ball, this Rams defense is stopped to is designed to stop the pass. Uh, we saw it against the Cardinals. We've seen it, you know, against the Bucks in in the in the beginning. You know, it is Tom Brady, um, but with a banged up line, you don't have Antonio Brown. Sure, you mentioned the tight ends. Gronk is always scary. Uh even even if he's, you know, half a shell of his former self. Um you have Mike Evans. I'll be interested to see what Raheem Morris for the Rams uh mocks up for him in terms of coverage. Uh sure you got you know, the Rams signed Eric Weddle um, to, you know, kind of fill in for Jordan Fuller, who got hurt in that Rams secondary. Rams secondary was fine uh, against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. You know, is that is that pass attack as good as Tom Brady's? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, the Cardinals played well. They had the, you know, they have the players to do it, and they had, you know, Maybe not Mike Evans worthy on that offense because Hopkins is out. But 
if the I don't I don't know what what Rams team we're we gonna see. Are we gonna see Stafford that shits the bed, or are we gonna see Matt Stafford that wants to come out and beat the goat in Tampa? I don't know. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm going is because I don't know. I don't I don't I don't I don't know for sure. I think if you if you had to tell me though, like I said earlier, you're gonna put it down to one thing is that the Rams front line has to get to Tom Brady and they have to do it for four quarters. If yeah. they don't, they'll lose. I agree with you. And as far as the Matt Stafford thing goes, a lot of people are making this out to be that they don't trust Matt Stafford because he hasn't won the playoff games and the interceptions that he threw this year and such and and uh, the the mental toughness of sorts when it comes to Matt Stafford. I think that's all a bunch of hogwash. I don't know if I trust Matt Stafford. I don't think that it's fair to put that on Matt Stafford when he was never in that position with the bad lines teams that he was around that uh, I don't think it's fair to hold that against Matt Stafford as a reason why he can't win, that there's some mental obstacle of some sorts that he needs to overcome here. I mean, I don't think necessarily mental, but when you are tied with Trevor Lawrence for the most interceptions in, in the national football league, a part of me is like, uh oh, you got to cut it out. I mean, I think he's he had the most interceptions for pick six. So that's what I'm worried about because one mistake like that, and you can bleep me here, will f the Rams. One pick six, one bad interception that gives Tom Brady 30 yards to go instead of 70 will absolutely kill this Rams dream of getting to the Super Bowl. It will do it. And that's what I was nervous for against the Cardinals. He played mistake free. Maybe a lot of that had to do with Cam Akers. I'd be very interested to see if they give him the rock the same amount of, of, of times they did in the Cardinals because everyone, we, I, everybody that I talked to was like, man, they really kind of they, they kind of gave it to Cam Akers and he impressed. What's this team like with a Cam Akers that can you know run for ninety five yards in his first game back all season? Yeah, yeah, you made good. Point. I don't know. Tom, uh, last thing before we uh, bring on Derek and uh, Coach Bo here. Uh, I want to talk uh, about the Big 12. We'll have our Big 12 basketball breakdown coming up later on, but I do want to look at the projected divisions that have been released by Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. He is saying that the Big 12 is looking at doing a, a North and South division again. And here's how it stacks up. The North division would feature Cincinnati, BYU, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. The South division would feature Baylor, Houston, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, UCF, and West Virginia. And then when Oklahoma and Texas depart for their new conference, the SEC, then they would take one team out of the North, one team out of the South, obviously, being OU and Texas and be a 12-team conference. When I look at this, the first thing that stands out to me is, in Oklahoma State's case, Oklahoma State, since 1996, has been playing Baylor and Texas Tech every single year. They've played uh, TCU every single year since they joined the conference. Um, to me, that's, that's bizarre of the idea of Oklahoma State not getting those games locked up of their familiar foes and you know texas tech for example has become a rival for oklahoma state that there's 
hatred there. You know, they're fighting over who owns the, the, the gun sign, whether it's, uh, you know, guns up or pistols firing of sorts. To me, that's interesting in Oklahoma State's case. Um, also, as far as this goes, I thought that Cincinnati and West Virginia, with their prior history in the Big East Conference, that you would want to keep them together, that finally West Virginia has a partner, an old foe of sorts, that you would want to keep those two together. But I guess that's not the case. BYU and TCU played each other for years in the Mountain West Conference, and you're not keeping those two together here. I don't like these pairings of how that they are projecting to have the North and South here based on this report from Dennis Dodd here. I would have gone East and West personally. Um, I, I, I don't like what uh, what's in store uh, of, of this North and South idea. I, I get it too. There's obviously a balancing act of putting uh, and, and forgetting Oklahoma and Texas for a, a second. You're putting Iowa state, Oklahoma state and Cincinnati on one side. And then the other side, you're putting Baylor Houston, TCU, UCF, West Virginia, Texas Tech, you're trying to balance out the powers that be. I know that you're trying to work that out, but I don't think this is the best they could have done, Tom. No, of course not. And, and you know, you mentioned it right off the bat, and you can imagine that I'll mention it. This is going to screw Oklahoma State football recruiting. Uh, it damages the Texas pipeline of them not really playing any games in Texas. Uh, I don't like that obviously being a fan. And to me, you would, you would assume or you would think or come to think that Baylor and Oklahoma State and Iowa State will be the new powers once OU and Texas leave, right? You would, you would assume those three, one out of those three, or maybe all three. Uh, you could throw Cincinnati in there too, maybe not right away, um, just because they're newcomers. But you would think that you would – I don't know, match those teams up in whatever division. Not They don't all have to be in the same, you know. You know, you could keep Iowa State in the north and, you know, put through Oklahoma State in the south. And like you said, keep Cincinnati and West Virginia as a pair in the north. Um, doesn't make sense to me that they would, I don't know, do any favors for OU or Texas. Um when it comes to pairing, if, if anything, they should get the raw into the deal. They're the teams leaving. They're the teams that, that made this happen, um, whether for good or for worse. That's my main issue. Well, first, obviously, being Oklahoma State, their Texas recruiting would go out the door or it would be severely damaged. Uh, that's where most of their players come from. So I'm not sure what will happen if that's the case. I don't know how credible Dennis Dodd is in terms of this being 100% legit out the door at being a couple years away uh, or not. But I do agree with your, your, your pairings, you know, why wouldn't you keep the teams that have history together? Um, that makes no sense. I think this will be changed. Maybe I'm a little biased or maybe part of me wants it to be changed. And that's why I'm saying that I can recognize that. I just don't think this is, this is feels like a very rough draft for me. In terms of them coming out with this. Right, right. And Does it have to be even directional? Why not call it uh, the Red and White Conference? Right, the leaders and the legends, like what the Big Ten was. Right, it doesn't have to be regional. Now, right. 
travel purposes, sure. Here's what I would do, Tom. Um, and, and I'm taking Oklahoma and Oklahoma State out. First off, why do you even need divisions? You're going to play nine conference games still. Why don't you just rotate the schedule each year and have the top two teams in the conference championship? I think that's actually the best solution is no divisions to begin with. That's one of the things I actually – one of the few things I do like about the Big 12 is that there's no divisions in the top two teams playing the championship game. Um, but if there is going to be divisions, here's how I would do it, Tom. I would put the East division. We'll, we'll call it the East and the West. Cincy, West Virginia, UCF, Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State. And then in the West, I would put Baylor, BYU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, and Houston. You keep all the Texas schools together, add Oklahoma State and BYU to the mix. The East, you keep the Kansas schools together along with Iowa State. And then you add in the old uh, American conference, you know, Big East guys in UCF, West Virginia, and Cincinnati. I think that's your best compromise that works for everybody. And you could have locked rivalries, maybe Oklahoma State. Um, you know, they've been playing, you know, Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State for, you know, forever, all the way back to the big eight days. Maybe you have a locked rivalry with K-State or something where you get to play them every year. Maybe, uh, you know, you, you, you pair up, uh, who knows, maybe a, you know, Tech plays Iowa State every year or something. I mean, th there's a lot of ways that you could go with it. That's how I would pair this up. East, Cincy, West Virginia, UCF, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa, West, Baylor, BYU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, and Houston. Yeah, I think that's the the most reasonable outlook. I, I mean, obviously, we I said before, you don't necessarily have to go regional, but you don't want to pair up BYU and UCF. That's not going to, you know. That's not going to work. Or even, you know, West Virginia and BYU. Uh, I mean, it's a stretch for West Virginia to come this far west anyway. Um, but I, I think that's the easiest way to do it. Um, you know, you're, you're going to want to keep, you know, like the Oklahoma school, like even for now, keep the Oklahoma schools together maybe. And I don't, I don't know what you do with Texas, um, but maybe just keep them there and throw another bone their way. Uh, in, I don't know, give them TCU. I don't know. You know, uh, I know the Big 12 hasn't been the best when it comes to ge a geographical footprint of this conference with as much teams have been in and out and how things have changed. But uh, if you're going to call it the North and South, please tell me how you have uh, West Virginia in the Big 12 South and uh, – Oklahoma State in the Big 12 North. How does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, let's – I'm looking up a map right now. I mean, <clears throat> okay, so Iowa State is higher up than West Virginia by – I don't know. Oh, I don't know, 300 miles maybe, 200 miles north of that marker that would equal. And then what? Um West Virginia to Oklahoma State. Well, I mean, are they on the same level? Let's look at a map. West Virginia is considerably higher. Right. Uh, considerably higher. <laughs> you know, it's not even close, really. It's a, a direct trajectory up. Um, and it doesn't make any – yeah, West Virginia is literally an hour and a half from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And you're going to tell me they're in the south? 
Now, granted, West Virginia is probably still flying more rebel flags than the state of Oklahoma, uh, in all honesty. But, you know, if we're going to be an honest show here. Um, I think Bob Bowlesby needs a geography lesson. No, Joe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're – I'd like to see who – okay, so Dennis Dodd didn't make that. You know, maybe he did. I don't think he did, though. Somebody else inside, he got that from someone that said, hey, this is our mock draft of who we think is going to be able to pick a division, right? Um, that or if you want to get really interesting and make everybody draw straws uh, and say, you, you know, <laughs> if, if you wanted to make it a TV event, you know, pop out some ping pong balls and do a draft. You want which division you want to be in. We get six slots here. And six slots here. And when it's full, it's full. You're right. And one thing I'll add, too. We'll we'll end on this, Tom. I think also this could be a scare tactic in a sense of we're sending a message to Oklahoma and Texas that, hey, we plan to bring these guys in in 2023 and you are going to play them. And in Texas's case, you're probably going to lose to those guys a couple of times. Uh, I, I could see this as being just a way to, to get these guys attention of some sorts, as far as, you know, trying to push forward on this buyout situation. I mean, yeah, there's a real shot. Houston, BYU and Cincinnati would all be Texas. I don't think UCF. I mean, if you had to pick one loss, um, if let's say they're all playing in Austin, who are you picking? If yeah, how many teams you got in the new four that would beat Texas? Um, Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, UCF. I think all four of them could beat Texas right now. I mean, true. I mean, KU just did win. So, yeah. I mean, if, if that comes down to it, I mean, did, do you think that makes Texas get the hell out of there earlier? I think there is a chance out of a sense of pride that Texas and Oklahoma try to move out quickly so they don't have to, you know, face these guys and get embarrassed. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, wins in BYU can't uh, not come in until 2024. Is that the case? So is BYU that- will come in at 2023. The other schools coming in from the American are slated for 2024 right now, but they're trying to push that up to 2023. So this arguably could be the last season of OU Texas. Very well could be. Very good chance, I think. So we'll see. Now, Texas, Texas can't leave with OU, without OU. Right. They can't first and, vice, and vice versa. They're going to exit together, I think. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. We'll uh, get to Derek Haglund coming up in just a few moments. Also got Coach Bo standing by as well for the football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Our Tom Fullery story of the week coming up at the end of today's show as well. All that and more. Stay with us here at the Jones. <laughs> Joining us now on the Jones Report this week is Derek Haglund, Sports Radio 810, ESPN Kansas City. He joins us uh, on the show. Derek, always appreciate the time, man. And uh, Chiefs football, big game coming up this weekend with uh, the matchup uh, coming up here against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I I really love the way the Chiefs played last week. Uh, Some momentum going into this weekend's game. Yeah, you know, Tyler, I love the uh, the L.A. hat, by the way. I can tell you're fully embracing Lincoln Riley being at SC now with the 
with the Trojan gold and red. So I really do like the hat. But yeah, um, I, I'm really surprised there's a game this weekend because, you know, if you talk to all the people on ESPN and everywhere else, you know, the Chiefs makes it seem like they have no shot because Buffalo came in here and kicked their ass um, in week five, even though the Chiefs are a completely different team right now than they were uh, that week five matchup, you know, the Chiefs were in the middle of turning the ball over 17 times in the first seven weeks. They had yet to have Melvin Ingram. That first time that they played the Buffalo Bills, Chris Jones did not play. Charvarius Ward did not play. That was Willie Gay's first game back from a turf toe injury. Um, you know, the one and only Dan Sorensen was playing every single snap that game. Juan Thornhill had yet to be free and unleashed. Um and, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire got hurt that game. Jarek McKinnon really wasn't a part of the offense. Um, so I'm really anxious to see how, how this game is going to play play out because Buffalo just slaughtered the Patriots. I've never seen a Bill Belichick defense um, look that bad against anyone, no matter who the caliber of quarterback it is. You know, seven straight touchdown drives to start on their first seven possessions was just unreal. And, you know, the Chiefs rattled off six in a row after – they, they finally stopped messing around with the Steelers on Sunday night. I, I think this is going to be a great, great game. I think it's going to be the best game of the playoffs. And I think whoever wins this game represents the AFC in the Super Bowl. So this is the de facto AFC championship game, you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if, if Cincinnati wins and, and let's say they have to come to Arrowhead or Buffalo, I, I don't see them winning. I still think they're maybe a year or two away from being able to take that next step. They have an unbelievable high powered offense with the trio of receivers that they have and Joe Mixon at running back and Joe Burrow at quarterback. I just, you know, here the vibe is in Kansas City. People are more afraid of the Bills coming in here and the Chiefs potentially losing to the Buffalo Bills than the Chiefs potentially having to go on the road and play in Nashville for an AFC championship game. I, I see a lot of the 2019 San Francisco 49ers in the, in the 2021 Tennessee Titans. I know they're getting Derrick Henry back, but they seem like a team very reliant on their defense and running the ball um, and Ryan Tannehill not having to make plays and Ryan Tannehill cannot go throw for throw with Patrick Mahomes, just like most people can't Josh Allen. I think we could potentially see him do that. I think he's one of the guys who, who could, um, if, if called upon, but I, I just don't see it from the Titans. I, I'm not saying they're a, a fraud, but they have, they have a lot of the, the, the 2019 49ers written all over them where, you know, Jimmy G didn't have to make a ton of plays, rely on that run game, play good defense, and you can win a lot of ball games. So when you look at the way that both these teams are heading in to this matchup, the bills have played a lot better football the last few weeks, the chiefs with that performance yeah. against Pittsburgh, uh, you know, you, you look at take the Bengals game out of the equation. They were really good for those last seven or eight weeks. What uh-huh. changed for both these teams? Uh, w- what happened to them and why they're playing hot at the right time here, comparably speaking, when it doesn't seem like that long ago we were talking about both these teams, uh, you know, hitting a wall of some sorts. So so I'll start with the Bills. The, the Bills finally figured out a way to – find a run game they were a team all season long that that struggled to run the ball whether it be Zach Moss Devin Singletary or anybody else and I, I think the great thing that Brian Dayball did was instead of having to use Josh Allen so much in the quarterback run game because let's I mean like that's a guy who got over the summer 250 million dollars you can't have your quarterback run the ball 15 times a game in the NFL and think that um, think that you're going to be okay and you're going to be able to survive they, they made a change at left guard 
um, a couple weeks ago. And, and that has really opened up their ability to be able to do a lot of tosses, a lot of sweeps where they pull a lot um, and run Devin Singletary. And that's opened up their offense as, as well as getting Isaiah McKenzie involved. That was a guy who early on in the season wasn't being utilized the way that he should. They do a lot of jet motion, a lot of jet sweep with him. They utilize him kind of the way that the Chiefs utilized McCole Hardman with a lot of motion and back and forth. And sometimes they'll hand the ball off to him. Sometimes, you know, they'll do a little pop pass or they'll get him on the, the edge with the screen. And, and that's the way that the Buffalo Bills have, have, have figured it out. And their pass rush has been phenomenal all season. I mean, they're the number one ranked defense in the NFL for a reason, even with losing Tredavious White, who's their best cover corner. And, and, and I know they're a team that plays a lot of zone, but still Tredavious White is probably a top four corner in this league. And the fact that they've been able to, keep things going and, and found a way to win without him uh, being in the lineup with a torn ACL out for the year is, is just really remarkable. I think those are the biggest changes that, that I've seen from the Buffalo bills. Now, if we go over to the chiefs, starting on the defensive side of the ball, you're seeing Dan Sorensen not play nearly as much as he was early on in those first five, six, seven weeks of the season. Right. You're seeing Juan Thornhill play a lot more. Um, you're seeing guys utilize like Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, I want to see Ben Neiman and Dan Sorensen not on the field as much as they have been during the season and even last week against Pittsburgh on third down because if I'm an offensive mind and I'm an offensive coordinator, if it's a pass play, I'm going at 49. I, I don't care what the route combination is. If I'm Josh Allen or if I'm Ryan Tannehill or anything, if I'm a quarterback, I'm looking at where 49 is and I'm going to attack him because he can't cover. He's a liability in coverage. And I think Steve Spagnola finally realized that even though the last couple of weeks he's had him play a little bit more of like that deep cover to safety where he's had Juan Thornhill and Tyron Matthew more approach at the line. They're playing more press coverage. They're playing more up instead of farther off. Um, you know, the first seven, eight weeks of the season, the Chiefs were given about six, seven yards per cushion, no matter whether it was first, second, long, third and long, or second short, or anything like that. And they were getting destroyed a lot of that way. So Spags has brought his corners up closer to the line of scrimmage and gotten them to be more handsy. And you've seen more penalties that way. You saw it against, against the Bengals, but that's just the way the Chiefs play. That's the type of corner and defense that they play. Melvin Ingram coming in, you know, he might not have the eye popping statistics that some people might think that he would have had in his younger days when he was playing with Joey, but when he was playing with Joey Bosa, but him coming in and solidifying that other defensive end spot has been huge for the Kansas City Chiefs, because what it did was it allowed Chris Jones, who's the best defensive tackle in the NFL, not named Aaron Donald, to slide back down to defensive tackle instead of having to play um, instead of having to be the that I think he's also given them a swagger like hey we can do this we know what we can we know what we can do we know how we can how we can do things and everything and I just feel like him coming in has has given the the entire team the entire defense confidence and I I, I hate to say it but I know that the offense was struggling and everything too I kind of feel like that at times during the season that these guys thought that they could turn it on whenever they wanted and at at three and four, that was the wake-up moment of, you know, oh, shit, hey, we got to start winning. We can't keep turning the ball over at a high clip. We, we've got to play better defense. We've got to do – we've got to improve in so many aspects if we want to just get to the playoffs. And then they go on that eight-game win streak. And, and Andy Reid had kind of alluded to it after, after they lost the Bengals game 
um, you know, they clinched the division in L.A. against the Chargers, and there were still two weeks of the regular season left. And he wouldn't say it, but, you know, if you read the tea leaves, he, he made it sound like the guys were just, okay, hey, let's get to the postseason, and then, and then this whole thing begins for real, and, and we can go from there. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Some, uh, some great points there on that front. So the quarterback <clears throat> matchup, Josh Allen and uh, Patrick Mahomes here. Josh Allen has uh, looked a lot better the last few weeks. Mahomes playing better as well. Uh, who needs to have the, bi- the bigger game, you think, uh, in order to push their team to victory? Is it Allen or is it Mahomes here? I, I, I think all the pressure and the most pressure is on Josh Allen because of the fact that this is the year. This is the year coming into the season where everyone was asking the question of who is the team that can unseed the Chiefs? Who is the team that has the best chance to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and stop them from playing in a fourth straight AFC championship and going to a third straight Super Bowl? And most of the time when you rolled those dice, it was coming up the Buffalo Bills. There were some people that thought it was going to be the Cleveland Browns, um, but clearly it was not them. But for Josh Allen to be if he wants to take that next step and granted, he's still very young in his career, but with all that Mahomes has accomplished being seven and two in the postseason, being five and one in home playoff games, his only two playoff losses coming to one guy and that being Tom Brady, which I don't think is being talked about the way that it should, because that, that is a big difference. That is a big thing in my mind is that it's literally only one guy that's beaten Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead in the playoffs and in the playoffs period. But Josh Allen wants to get where Patrick Mahomes is and the Buffalo Bills have built their team last year and this year to beat the Chiefs. And so it's one of those things. If, if they can't slay this dragon now, if not now, then when? And so I think a lot of the pressure is going to be on the Buffalo Bills, because if you look at the spreads and see how it's changed and fluctuated, a lot of people are betting on the Bills because they're expecting them to win. And I think the with the line being so small, the way that it is um, the smallest line that Mahomes has ever been a favorite at home. I really do think that the Buffalo bills have the most pressure on them to be able to try to come out and beat this chiefs team. Because, you know, if, if not now, then when, when is Josh Allen going to take that next step to be able to get his team there? Because he's going to, they're going to lose both their coordinators. And then, you know, with, with how free agency affects every team, you only get so many shots to be able to to go at to make a run at the Super Bowl um, every time. Isn't it amazing, Derek, how the conversation has changed within the last couple of years that we're talking about the Chiefs now being the hunted rather than being the hunter? We feel, I feel like the way that we're talking about the Chiefs is the same breath that we were talking about the Patriots just a couple of years ago. Yeah, and 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 I'm I'm glad you say that because I I find it funny that. In, in four short years that there's this so much chiefs fatigue and the Patriots won ugly for 20 something years and nobody batted an eye, but the chiefs go and win ugly for a couple of weeks and win eight in a row and win nine out of their last 10 and get the two seed after starting three and four and had the opportunity to get the one seed. Had they not messed around and, and been able to beat the Bengals, they would have been the one seed. Um, it, 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 it's just amazing how, how everything changes because we live in the society of, I got to have the next hot take. I got to be the first one to say this, even though it might not be true because I need to get the clickbait. I need to get the views. 
you know, whether people say, well, Justin Herbert's better, the Chargers are better, Josh Allen's better, the Bills are better. Okay, well, when their resumes look like Patrick Mahomes and look like what the Chiefs do over the last four seasons, come talk to me. Then we have a conversation to be able to be had. But when you're talking about one year of success or Justin Herbert going nine and eight and not making the playoffs because his coach is an idiot because he goes for it too much. And you want to sit here and say, you know, oh, he's so much better. Okay, well, does Justin Herbert have a league MVP? No. Does Justin Herbert have a 5,000 yard, 50 touchdown season? No. Does Justin Herbert have a Super Bowl ring? No. Does he have a Super Bowl MVP? He doesn't even have a playoff appearance the only thing that he has that Mahomes and him have in common right now is that they've both been named starters in the Pro Bowl before for the AFC at quarterback and so it's just hilarious how all of this has transpired over the last couple of years but it's because once you get on top and once you get on that pedestal everybody wants to see you knocked off and I think if you're outside of Kansas City or you're not a Chiefs fan everybody's tired of the Kansas City Chiefs winning yeah yeah, I get that. I get, I get exactly what you're talking about here. We're talking to uh, Derek Haglin of uh, Sports Radio 810 ESPN Kansas City here on the Jones Report this week. Uh, Derek, uh, let's uh, let's shift gears now and and uh, looking at those the other matchup that Bengals and the Titans game. If you're the Chiefs, who would you rather face? Is it Cincinnati or Tennessee? Ooh, that's a. I I would rather face Tennessee for the simple fact of. I don't think that they can go score for score against the Chiefs. Uh, um, You know, we've seen how Patrick has evolved this year in terms of taking that next step in the maturation process. And and Andy Reid and the Chiefs offense in general, where it was always the big quick strike play. You know, hey, we got to score 40, but we got to have three touchdowns of 40 yards or more. Well, you can score 40 and do it on 10 play drives and check the ball down and take eight yards instead of trying to get 50 and just move the ball that way. And and I think that's the biggest reason why the Chiefs offense has been able to succeed the way that it has over this season as we've kind of seen an evolution in Patrick Mahomes and we've seen an evolution in the Chiefs. I think Jarek McKinnon needs to be a guy who plays a ton going forward right now in this playoff run because I, I know the Steelers aren't that great, Um, They were lucky to be able to get in the playoffs, but he provides that speed and that burst that they just don't have with any of the other three guys. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire doesn't offer it. Darrell Williams doesn't offer it. And Derek Gore doesn't offer it. You saw how impactful, especially in the screen game, that Jarek McKinnon can be when when they played the Denver Broncos in Denver the last week of the regular season with his amazing, um, uh, you know, every everything like that. and then last week, and then you go forward and um, you see how well he played against the Steelers, where he was getting to the edge, where they were running tosses, they were running sweeps, um, and everything of, of that nature. Um, the, the Bengals' offense, their trio of wide receivers and their running backs scare me. I know their offensive line is not good, but, but I do believe Joe Burrow is on his way to being a top-five quarterback. I, I think the Tennessee Titans' defense is not as good as people – try to portray it as um i i certainly think the bills defense scares me more um but you've seen that joe burrow can go and win a shootout against the kansas city chiefs granted it was in cincinnati i think it would be a little bit of a different story here in kansas city but i think whether the chiefs play in kansas city for an afc championship or on the road they're going to be the favorite in 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 that in those games 
Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, I would agree there. And and uh, with that being said, uh, so I hear you say you'd rather take the road game in in Tennessee. Is that ultimately how it plays out? Do you think uh, do you think the Bengals uh, pull off that that upset, or do you think uh, Tennessee holds serve here? I think the Bengals pull off the upset. Um, I think the way that they've played the last couple of weeks, um, the way that Zach Taylor has been calling, I, I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of the stuff that Zach Taylor was doing against the Raiders, but granted that Raiders defense is atrocious. And I don't think he had to unleash the full arsenal to be able to beat the Raiders um, in that wild card game over the weekend. I picked the Bengals when the playoffs started to get and play the chiefs in the AFC championship game. So um, my head and my heart say I'm, you know, as Bill Belichick once said, I'm on Cincinnati. Yes, on to Cincinnati, as they said. That's right. Uh, let me ask you about the uh, the NFC side here. Let's uh, let's start out with that uh, that Packers matchup. Uh, what's uh, going on uh, there? Do you think uh, with with their game against the 49ers? The 49ers have a shot. Um, I, I, they have a shot, but I, I just I feel like this year is Green Bay's year to get to the Super Bowl, And I feel like we're going to have the state farm Super Bowl because if, if we're not going to get it this year, I don't think that we're ever going to get it um, with, with, with Aaron Rodgers and, and, and Patrick Mahomes, which is something that we all want. And, and I think we all should see. Um, and, and I, I, with, with Bosa potentially being out because of he's in concussion protocol. And then you throw in Fred Warner having an ankle injury um, I, I do like the 49ers ability to be able to control the clock and control the ground game, even though Green Bay's defense is, is, is really good and has played really good the last half of the season, especially their secondary. I, I just don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to go into Lambeau Field and be able to pull it off. Um, he, he almost threw that game away for them against the Dallas Cowboys. I picked the Niners in that game because the Niners were um, – just a bad matchup for Dallas. But if Garoppolo goes in there and is turning the ball over, I think you could see an, a Green Bay route and, and it might be over early. Green Bay is going to, San Francisco is going to have to control the ball, run Elijah Mitchell, use Debo Samuel a ton to be able to, um, to be able to get through uh, some of those things um, to be able to, I, I think, have a chance. Um, but, but, but I see Green Bay winning this game big. Yeah, uh, I think Green Bay wins here. Uh, for me, that's interesting is uh, San Francisco's ability to slow down this game. I think that's where uh, they could have a chance is if, if they find a way to run the football and wear out a clock and shorten the game here, then uh, that to me is the only way this way this game could be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I it's just hard to believe in Jimmy Garoppolo because at, at the end of the day, especially in the playoffs, it always comes back to, and, and this is from a chiefs fan perspective as well is going into playoff matchups. I think you have a far better chance at success when you have the better quarterback or at least a quarterback who you think is on the same level. So, you know, when the chiefs were going into playoff games, well, when Alex Smith was going up against Brian Hoyer, yeah, the chiefs had the better quarterback in that matchup in 2015, but when they played the new England Patriots, Tom Brady was better. Um, 2016, when they played Ben Roethlisberger, you know, they ended up in 2017 losing to Mariota. You have to have that position right, which is the most important position, even though Jeff Saturday tries to say that offensive linemen are the most important players in the most important position in all of football, and that's just asinine. Um, 
if you don't have a quarterback who can win you the game, which I don't believe Jimmy Garoppolo is, we've seen that. There's been times where he's had moments, but let's not forget the Super Bowl when he missed a wide open Emmanuel Sanders um, and and couldn't do anything. I really think that Niners defense is going to struggle, especially in the secondary. Because they're a team that likes to bring four guys. D'Amico Ryans does not like to call a lot of blitzes. He doesn't like to send five, six, seven guys regularly at the quarterback. And so if they're only going to try to rush four and play in that secondary, which is their biggest weakness on that defense, I think Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and and Alan Lazard are going to have a field day against that 49er secondary. Yeah, I think so. I think you're, I think you're right about that. Uh, the other matchup, uh, the Rams taking on the Bucks here. A uh, really good game uh, that could go either way. I, I wouldn't be shocked about either outcome here, uh, Derek. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things um, where good for John Matthew Stafford to uh, to get his first playoff win um, against uh, against the Cardinals. It was good to see him. You know, he was a guy who who took a lot of heat in Detroit, even though he had some weapons in Calvin Johnson and uh, at, at times. But where he struggled to get over the hump, win a playoff game. You know, he was 0 for 3, and there was a lot of pressure on him this past week. Well, this is the best team that he's played on, um, that being the the L.A. Rams. And this is the best offensive mind that he's been with in Sean McVay in terms of a play caller. I, I know the Bucks are banged up. Um, you know, no Godwin. Be interesting to see what happens with Leonard Fournette. Um, if Leonard Fournette plays, I, I we'll find out more about that later today. Um, you know, I think Mike Evans is 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 limping a little bit. Um, are they going to have Tristan Worse? I, I think that's going to be a huge thing, especially for for Brady on the right side. If his All Pro right tackle is not playing, that's going to set up guys like Von Miller, Leonard Floyd. I might see Aaron Donald out there um, quite a bit. But the Rams of the, the Rams offense is clicking. You know, Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr. has emerged as a legitimate weapon for those guys since they signed him. I did not think OBJ was going to be that successful when he, when he was released from the Cleveland Browns and he's made a huge impact. I think he's got like six touchdowns in his last seven games with the Rams, which is crazy. Ultimately at the end of the day, it's so hard to go against Tom Brady and the fact that that game is in Tampa Bay. I, I lean the Buccaneers. I, I think the Bucs find a way to pull it out. And I think they go to Lambeau field. And I think they lose in the NFC championship game. Okay, so uh, you're going with the uh, Packers and uh, the Chiefs ultimately getting the Super Bowl. Yes, yes, that was my pick uh, before the season. That was my pick midway in the season, and that's my pick. I'm sticking with it. We got a little bit of time left, Derek, so I got to ask you, uh, Kansas basketball uh, right now uh, with that big win against Oklahoma they had the other night, and and uh, it seems like it's been kind of up and down. Uh, this team hasn't quite played to their potential just yet. What do you make of what's going on there in Lawrence? Uh, I mean, I I think I sent you a text the other night where I said, I go, a team this talented and this deep should not be so frustrating to watch where, you know, you're up 12 early in the second half against Oklahoma. And and don't get me wrong. I like Porter Moser and I like how he handled the transfer portal. I think Oklahoma is in very good hands um, down there, but you're up 12 and then you allow a 20 to four run to happen in that second half. And, and it looked like they were playing hero ball. Some of these guys, I, I think some of them sometimes forget how good and how talented the team is because they they have, you know, flashbacks to last year, how painful it was for them at times to be able to try to score offensively. This team is so good in transition. And I think that affects them a little bit when they're not getting out. And um, uh, if they're not getting out and getting in transition and 
being able to run and get some fast break baskets, I think that's a time where they struggle. And I think we saw that because they did not have many fast break basket opportunities um, the other night against Oklahoma. But the other thing is too, is, is a guy who in, in David McCormack, I, I compare him to Dwight Howard in an aspect of, He's a guy who is that big, who still, in my opinion, it looks like hasn't been able to understand angles, whereas Dwight Howard's never been a guy who understood how to put it off the glass from a certain angle where he should hit it off the top of the glass or where to put it off of to be able to get an easy basket. And it's one of those things, too, where when you watch him play, it's he wants to do everything in, in one fell motion and he and 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 his feet and his hands get so far ahead of where his brain is and he just forgets how to do stuff because Kansas can't win a national championship if David McCormick is not playing at a semi-good level. Um, they they can win a lot of games, but he's a bigger piece than them having Remy Martin. Right. Yeah. Maybe uh, they need to get uh, David into some geometry classes or something, you know, work on those angles or something of that sort. Uh, with that being said, uh, Kansas, uh, we mentioned very talented team, but not playing up to their standard uh baylor went on that stretch where they won 15 in a row and then lose two straight texas has uh been up and down what do you think of this uh this big 12 this year how many teams you think are capable of potentially going to the final four here i think potentially going to the final four i think there's only two and i think it's i think it's baylor and i think it's kansas um and obviously i know baylor is the is the reigning national champion um, and they, they had a stretch where they were that they lost two in a row, but they looked really good the other night to close out the game against West Virginia um, in, in Morgantown. And I know they didn't have Kinjo play, but but I, I think we're going to see probably two of the best games in all of college basketball this season when Baylor and Kansas match up. I think those are going to be so good um, between those teams that it's just going to be unbelievable. I thought Texas would be better than they were. Um, I know that they got they hit the transfer portal really hard too, um, just like Kansas did this past season. Um, I'm a big believer in Chris Beard. I, I, I know you are uh, as well. Um, but it's just going to be. I, I think at, at at the end of the day, the cream of the crop in the Big Twelve is is Baylor and Kansas. Um, you know, I I didn't think the Big Twelve would be as deep as as it has been. This year, that's something that um, has has truly been um, un, unbelievable. But, you know, with Iowa State, Texas Tech, I, I still think at the end of the day, the, the two best teams in the Big 12 are, are Kansas and Baylor. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. Last question, we'll uh, end on this. Uh, Derek, uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS put out a report this week uh, looking at what the potential new Big 12 divisions look like with the uh, North featuring Cincinnati, BYU, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, the Big 12 South with Baylor, Houston, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, UCF, and uh, West Virginia. What do you think of those uh, splits there for the divisions? I think it's going to be amazing next year when uh, when Kansas is in the college football playoff and Lance's Legion is <laughs> representing um, everything. You're talking to a, a new uh, Kansas season ticket holder uh, for, for football. Um, I, I don't, by the way, anybody watching this or listening, I do not think Kansas is going to the college football playoff. It's an inside not joke. Yet. Between we'll get, we'll not yet, not yet. A couple years away. Um, when Jalen Daniels is a senior, it, 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 it'll happen. Um, him and him and Devin Neal will, uh, will make it happen. But 
um yeah it, it's just it's 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 going to be cool to actually see divisions again and and actually see a conference that should have a conference championship game with 12 teams instead of 10 um that's that's going to be um really really interesting in my opinion uh, i'm looking forward to it i know that um it's unfortunate that Oklahoma and Texas decided to leave to, to go to the SEC where it just means more when, um, you know, they're not winning national championships in the Big 12. They're definitely not going to do it in the SEC. Not while Nick Saban's still at Alabama. I, I, Kirby Smart has shown that he, he is there to stay um, and potentially, you know, build upon his team winning a national championship this past year. Uh, beating Nick Saban in the national championship game. Um, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the SEC shakes out for those two teams. But, yeah, it's it, it's going to be awesome. Houston's coming to Kansas, uh, to Lawrence this year for a non-con game. I think that's going to be awesome. I, I'm excited that that's on the schedule. Yeah, I am too. Should be a lot of fun. He's Derek Haglund. You can follow him on Twitter at DT underscore Haglund. And uh, we appreciate him joining us on the show this week. Derek, we'll talk in down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at lpl.com. And Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, it is uh, good to hear from you. Uh, how are we doing this week? We're doing all right, man. It's been a kind of a crazy week over here. Uh, with third thing with the business and everything, and then I had some personal stuff come up in the last two weeks. So I mean, it's been um, it's been interesting times, as they say. Yeah, so. <laughs> I can uh, I can relate, uh, <laughs> Bo. Uh, and uh, what's going on with the show and such? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, we're going to be recording here in a little bit. Um, if you listened on Monday, we, I broke down all the games from last weekend. Uh, talked a little bit about the Novak Djokovic thing. I'm going to have an update on Novak Djokovic this week as well. Uh, I just That was something that really kind of bit into my crawl, and so I went after Novak Djokovic pretty hard. And I'm not backing down. I got more. I'm going to talk about this week on the point five. Uh, but Ellen and I are going to preview the games this coming week. Uh, we're about the Baseball Hall of Fame. That's going to be coming up, and the announcement for the, the new Baseball Hall of Famers will be coming up in the next week. So we're going to discuss that a little bit and uh, just be our normal jovial selves over there on the Coach Bono's podcast. So I love it. Out. Mo, uh, that sounds great. Certainly check it out. Coach Bono's podcast out every Monday and Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Download and subscribe today. <laughs> Well, let's uh, look at uh, this week's slate of games here and uh, a little update to these standings. You are 90. Yeah. You're 93, 101 and two. Thomas is 101, 93 and two. TJ is 104, 90 and two. And I am 109, 85 and two. And uh, with three games left after this weekend, uh, yours truly has a potential chance to clutch to uh, clinch the championship this weekend. So um, we'll see uh, what I could put together. But Bo, last week you went three and three. Uh, Thomas and TJ each went six and oh, I went five and one. So you got your work cut out for you this week, Bo, to uh, try to hang with us three on yeah. the picks. I just went last week as quickly as I could. I was like, I'll take these two favorites. I actually changed one last minute and, uh, um, but and luckily that one actually came through for me. Uh, I was going to pick just Cincy 
and then all the underdogs. But uh, I just thought games were going to be closer. And I think it proves something that we talked about on my podcast on Monday that these seven seeds aren't worth the damn. I mean, it's just not. I, I thought we'd see some backdoor covers in the seven seeds. And neither of them played well at all. Neither of them deserved to be in the playoff. Yeah, I like that you have more games, but we just got more bad games is what we got. Yeah, we got bad football in those two seven games. I mean, they were just bad. And um, I just didn't see I, – I would thought these two seven seeds were going to play better late in games. The Steelers particularly I thought were particularly horrible. I thought that was the worst – uh, I think that was the worst performance or worst prepared team I've ever seen in the playoff game. I've never seen a playoff team look as ill-prepared to play that game as they did. So much so that they ran out of touchdown fireworks at Arrowhead. Yeah. They weren't prepared for it to be that bad. Yeah. I mean, the Steelers looked, they didn't even have pride out there. I mean, it was just uh, – I, I, we were talking before we started here, and, and I really think, and, and he, hear me out on this, I think Mike Tomlin should be fired. That game. I think that Mike Tomlin's been an absolute abject failure since that team was 11-0 last year. I think they're 10-14-1 since they were 11-0, if you include the playoff games. Um, they look so unprepared. And the only thing I can say in, in his defense is if – if the Steelers as an organization went into the 2021 season saying, hey, we know we have a problem at quarterback. We know that Ben Roethlisberger is bad because he was bad. He's old. He's not mobile. He can't really throw the football anymore. He's just not good, but it's too much of a salary cap issue to get rid of him. If they went in and said, hey, Mike, take this team and go as far as you can with what you got because you don't get any help till after the season. If that was what was said in Pittsburgh. I can live with it. If not, my Tomlin should be fired because they've been an abject failure since week 12 of 2020. I've looked at what Mike Tomlin's done in Pittsburgh, and ever since they won that Super Bowl with the staff that was Bruce Arians, a future Super Bowl-winning head coach, as your O.C., and Dick LeBeau as your D.C., arguably the greatest defensive coordinator of all time, with uh, a great roster that year. You take away those two coordinators, he hasn't been the same coach since. No, I think Mike Tomlin's a good coach, and for the most part has done a good job, but uh, highly overrated uh, Mike Tomlin is. And now we get to see how good he really is without Big Ben going forward. Yeah, I, I – I just think he's been an abject failure for a year and a half now. And I, I really, I think you bring up a good point of without Dick LeBeau and without Bruce Arians, think about that. Dick LeBeau is, I mean, he's one of the top two or three teams of course of all time. I mean, you can argue a couple others with him, but I mean, he's a hall of fame defensive coordinator. And they chased him out of town. They did. And then you have Bruce Arians who's let go because he doesn't run the football enough. And where does he go? Well, he ends up going and being – goes to Indy where he ends up taking care, taking, uh, taking care of that team while Pagano was hurt or was, was going through cancer treatments. Right. Coached extremely well, got the head coaching job in Tampa, 
wins the Super Bowl. Yeah. And now, as a head coach, everybody wants to coach underneath him because he's going to get all these guys' jobs again. Bowles right. is going to get a job. Leftwich is going to get a job. Um, he Bruce BA is exactly who you want as a coach, and I like Mike Tomlin as far as I like his grit, I like his attitude. I don't know how like he does Texas hose. Right. And, and I, I can see where you'd want to play for a guy like him, but well, his teams have not looked prepared. They haven't looked good at any time this season. And they backdoored their way into the playoffs. I mean, now aren't we just wishing that the Chargers and the, uh, and the, uh, and the Raiders would have uh, had a tie? We would have had better football. Yeah. I mean, the Raiders in the seventh seed would have been a hell of a lot better than the, than the Steelers. Yeah. Um, the other coach that really laid an egg this past week was Mike McCarthy, along with Khaled Moore, too, that one-two combination there yeah. in Dallas. Um, I mean, you talk about being unprepared. Dallas, the game didn't start for them until the fourth quarter, it seemed like. They didn't yeah. even show up. Yeah, Mike McCarthy's a horrible coach. I don't know how he got that job in the first place. Dan Quinn as a DC has done an incredible job this season. I think it's a joke that Kellen Moore is getting these head coaching uh, looks. I'll tell you why. I have, if you listen to my podcast, I've said it here, see it every week on my podcast. The Cowboys are a really good football team as long as they run the football. But if they're going to let Dak Prescott throw the ball 40-plus times and they're going to run the ball 15 to 20, they're not going to win. Just simply not going to. The numbers show it. The numbers have spread it out. If the Cowboys run the ball 40% or more of the time, they were undefeated this season. Undefeated. And how Kellen Moore doesn't know that, they get more stats than I do. He gets more more video than I do. I don't understand that. And so that has to go through McCarthy. It has to go through Kellen Moore. It has to go through the whole staff. And, again, I think that Mike McCarthy was there. He did a good job of picking some coordinators. I think he was saddled with Kellen Moore. And Kellen Moore has been good. He's been really good, you can even say. But the way they're not running the ball, they got too good an offensive line. Zeke is too good at running back to get 12 carries, to get 16 carries. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, let me ask you. I mean, you've, you've watched those games and such. When that happens, are they getting away from the run game because the offensive line isn't getting the push they need, or are they too committed to passing the football? What's going they're, on in those situations? They're too committed to throwing the football because they have two really good players on the outside. They've got Amari Cooper, who's a very good player. They've got C.D. Lamb, who I think is excellent. Um, and then Michael Gallup, who is out right now with, with, with an injury. But I think Michael Gallup's a heck of a player. I think they want to get chunk plays. That's a big buzzword around the NFL is chunk plays. And they're trying to do that. Um, the other piece to it is that you, you want these chunk plays. You want exciting football. You know, they're, they're a lot of what the Cowboys do is they're, show, they're a show. They're just as much a show to go to and watch on TV as they are a football team. And I think they want to prove they're smarter than everybody else. And they, they want to have a big, fancy-looking show running the ball's boring. 
But also the thing I see is that in games where they get behind, once there's you know, eight to 10 points behind, they play like their hair's on fire. They have to score, 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 score. Teams that are down even 10, even 13, you know, in the first half or even early in the third quarter can still run the football. It can still be done. The Cowboys are one of the worst I've seen in the league at they get down 10 points and think they're down 21. Just play one possession at a time. And I've seen that with a number of teams, and I – they're the biggest offender of that, in my view. Yeah, let's go and ahead and let's go ahead and pick these games here and yeah. uh, talk about these uh, situations ahead here. Let's start out with the uh, Saturday slates, the AFC divisional round. The Bengals taking on the Titans. The Titans, a three and a half point favorite. Bow, really good game here. The Bengals, as hot as any team in the AFC. The Titans going to have their hands full on Saturday. Yeah, this is the game that's the hardest of these four to pick for me. Um, we all know my biases toward Joe, Joe Burrow. Um, but the reason it's so difficult for me is I don't know what Tennessee has in Derrick Henry. Uh, we saw the thing as we're recording this today. It said that Derrick Henry practiced a full padded practice, took some hits. They're not going to announce till Friday whether he's going to play or not. I expect Derrick Henry to play. Tennessee, even without Derrick Henry, ran the football really well. Um, they're a good, they're a very good team. They're the most underrated, I think, of all the teams that are left. I think people don't, I think people are sleeping on them in the AFC. I think everyone thinks the Chiefs are the favorite. Um, there's a reason that Tennessee is the number one seed. Um, I did look at the rankings, and uh, Tennessee is 15th in the league in offense, 11th in defense. I just don't know what's going to happen as far as points in this game. I like the fact that Joe Burrow and the Bengals can score points, but they can't stop a lot of teams. Uh, the, the Bengals defense is 12th in the league, in the seventh in the league in offense. Joe Burrow is the most, he has the highest yards per attempt in the league. He has the highest completion percentage in the league. They do like to run the football. This is going to be a game of whoever runs the football better is going to win the game. I'm going to take the Bengals plus the three and a half. If this were under three, I'd probably take the Titans. I just don't know what I have here in the Titans. And I think I would trust Joe Burrow in the opportunity at big plays than I would Ryan Tannehill late in the game. I think he's more apt to turn the ball over. Tennessee's defense is an X factor to me. They're a team that can get some pressure. If they get pressure on Burrow, he can turn the ball over a little bit too. So look for the Tennessee front line. How do they take care? How does the Bengals front line take care of Burrow? Most sacked quarterback in the league. I expect Tennessee to blitz a lot. It's going to come down to whether the Bengals make big plays. And Tennessee, if they give up those big plays, then they're going to have to step their offense up a little faster. That's not what Tennessee wants to do. So I'm taking the Bengals. I think that's the most likely scenario here. But I see so many scenarios in so many different ways here. Give me Cincy because I like the points here more than anything else. I disagree. I'm going to go with Tennessee, and it's for one of the reasons you mentioned. Uh, I can't trust that Cincinnati offensive line, and that's I like that pass deal. rush for Tennessee. I think that they're going to 
put it on and you know Tennessee is going to run the football whether it's Derrick Henry or not they'll have success I think that uh they run it they hit Cincinnati in the mouth be the more physical team here I'll go with Tennessee and the points at home here I I don't see you being wrong here either I think it's going to go either way this is the game I think can go either way I really don't I mean I don't have a real good feel for this so again I think it's going to all come down to that offensive line of the Bengals versus the defensive line of the Titans how about the uh, other game on Saturday? The 49ers taking on the Packers. The Packers, a six-point favorite. Bo, I think this is a really good line. This is one that's set pretty fair. You have a 49ers team that has played really good football as of late, that knows how to shorten games and keep it low scoring, and a Packers team that's coming off a of bye week, that's played really good football all season long here. Um I would be surprised if the Packers blow out San Francisco. I think everybody expects Green Bay to win, but I don't know if this is a runaway. I I kind of feel the same way. I feel like I feel like Green Bay's the second best team in the NFC left. Um, I think they're they got the best quarterback. They got the best quarterback in the league, but I, I mean he's going to be the MVP. But at the same time, I the 49ers don't get blown out. They keep everything close. They muddy up the game. They, 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 they can run the ball, which also runs the clock down. The Packers have been teams and specifically in the playoffs and in big games where it has come down to having to make a couple of plays late in the game to win. Uh, there's something that gets flustered in that team in close games. I'm also taking the 49ers plus the points here. Um, I Green Bay to win, but I think it's more like a two, three, four point game. I'm still taking Green Bay. Uh, I say all that. I think that it's you're talking about a touchdown, still covers. I think you're yeah. talking about a good game, but Green Bay ultimately pulls away in the yeah. end. I think Green Bay wins this game. Yeah. But I do think that it's two to five points. I mean, it's going to be that last score of the game kind of thing. I think as well as there's a Rodgers has the ball down to or tied gets them into a situation where they win. Let's move on to the Sunday games. Now the Rams taking on the Bucks. the Bucks a three point favorite bucks look good last week in their win against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Rams dominate against Arizona on Monday night, traveling to Tampa Bay, Bo really good matchup with the bucks favored by three here. Yep. I'm, I'm going Rams here. I'm going Rams. I'm taking the Rams always Super Bowl. I, they looked incredible Monday night, and they run the ball. They're not going to let Matt Stafford lose this game for them. They're not going to let him do it. Um, it's good. Cam Akers look good coming back. Yeah, I, I think that. I mean, Matt Stafford only threw the ball 15 times this past week. Uh, they ran it like 28 times, and the defense looked great. Um, I think that the the. The Rams are one of the four teams in the playoffs right now who are both in the top 10 in offense and defensive scoring. Uh, They're number five in defense, number nine in offense. I don't think they'll score a lot of points. I think this is one of those kind of 28-20 kind of games, 28-24 kind of games. But I'm taking the Rams. I think the Rams are going to win outright. You know, I'm going with the Rams to cover. I'm not – ready to jump out and say they'll win outright just yet. But I like the Rams to cover that three-point margin. The way that they played last week, 
that should scare the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because the way that they looked last week, Bo, it reminded me of that early season uh, Rams team we saw that looked like the best team in the NFC for the first, you know, six, seven weeks of the season that beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pretty soundly here. And I think the Tampa Bay, you look at where this team's at with all that they've gone through, all these injuries or suspensions or guys cut, whatever. The Bucs got a lot of problems right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's only so much that Tom Brady can do. Um, there is a lot of movement there. The other thing I noticed this past week is with the Rams offense, look who looks comfortable all of a sudden playing in LA. And that's Odell Beckham. I, I think Odell Beckham's going to have a big game this week. He's got a better completion percentage right now than Baker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Odell Beckham's going to have a big game. I think they're going to run the ball well. I, I just, I also think, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in the future, but I think this is Tom Brady's last game. Really? Yeah. You're calling it right now. I'm going to call it right now. This is Tom Brady's last game. Okay. Well, uh, we'll check the tape back on that one. If now, if they if they win this game, I think it continues through the season. But I really, I think it's his last season. I think this is his last game. I think the Rams are going to win. I think Brady's coming back next year, no matter what. Um, last one for you: the Bills take it out of the Chiefs. The Chiefs favored by two. Bo, you know, I think that what the issue when you've looked at the Chiefs and the Bills both throughout this year was just the inconsistencies that we weren't seeing either one of these teams put their best foot forward. Last week, we saw what do these two teams were capable of when they put their A game out there, and it was pretty damn impressive. Um, Chiefs favored by two here. I like the Chiefs at home, the win and the cover here, but I think we're in for quite a show. I like uh, what we saw out of both these teams uh, heading into the postseason here. Rams are the number one ranked – I mean, the – Bills have the number one ranked defense in the league. They came in the arrowhead. They handled the Chiefs once. They're going to do it again. I think Buffalo is for real, real. Do you think it matters of what happened in that first game? No, but I think it's in the Chiefs' head a little bit. I don't think I don't think Buffalo's scared of going to Arrowhead. I think that's part of it. There's no Arrowhead magic with the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. I think Buffalo's going to win. Um, I think they're going to win outright. I've come to the opinion, this is not going to be popular, but Josh Allen is Mahomes. Okay. He's a better runner. He's a better runner. There was a play this past week against New England where he's running. He's about two yards down the field. Defensive, the defensive lineman gets both hands on each shoulder of Josh Allen. And Josh Allen doesn't go down. He didn't slide. He just ran through it. He just ran away from the guy. And I love the fact that Buffalo is not telling their quarterback, hey, get down. They, he does get down, but they're not telling him, uh, don't get out of the pocket, don't run the ball. They're calling plays for him to run. It's another dimension to the offense for them. And I'm still convinced the Chiefs don't know who they, exactly they are offensively. I don't, I mean, I still don't know who they are. They still run gimmick plays, even up 30 points. I mean, maybe that's just who they are. I, they're going to put some gimmick plays out there. They're going to put a couple of big plays because of it. Buffalo can outscore the Chiefs. And in a game where 
you rely on the defenses both looking out defending the Chiefs. There's neither side of the ball that the Chiefs have an advantage against Buffalo. Buffalo is going to win the game. All right. So, yeah, that's uh, our picks for this week. As uh, Bo's riding with the Bengals, I'll take the Titans. Um, and then uh, Bo's riding with the Niners. I like the Packers. We both like the Rams as an underdog against the Bucks. And then I'm going with the Chiefs. He's got the Bills. So there is uh, our picks for this week. Uh, Bo, uh, when you look at these uh, these matchups or what's ahead, um, and then from there to the conference title games and such, has your opinions changed at all heading into the divisional round from what they were heading into the wild card round? Was there anybody last week that you said, okay, that's what I wanted to see. I believe now that you had a different opinion on compared to what you had a week ago. I think Buffalo confirmed who I thought they were. Um, I thought the Bengals didn't play as well as I thought they would against the Raiders. Um, in the EFC, to me, the whole wild card is Tennessee. I just I don't know who they are yet. Um, there's a chance they're the best team out of the four. There's a chance they're the worst team of the four. Uh, but out of the, the AFC side, no. Um, the one team on the NFC side that I went, yep, they're really good and they're better than I thought they were is the Rams. I, Rams are my preseason pick. And there were times where I was like, oh my God, they're not that good. But they did not let the Monday night football first playoff game, they didn't let any of that get in the of play calling and having to look good, unlike the Dallas Cowboys do. They didn't have to have Matt Stafford get back and throw the ball 30 times. I think that's a big deal. And I think that's why the Rams were the team that made me think twice. The 49ers are better than I thought they were. I think they're going to play the Packers close. Uh, I don't think they're going to win, but they're going to play close. So if I had to say which two teams I think kind of improved their view in my last two weeks, and especially the playoff week, it's those two. Um. And I think Buffalo kind of confirmed it for me. So, yeah, if I had to – the team that I think impressed me the most last past week was actually the Rams. It was yeah. total domination. They just toyed – they outwilled. I mean, they just – they imposed their will on the Cardinals early. And the Cardinals have been crap in the last month and a half. They've been awful. And uh, – but they just imposed their will, and the, and the Cardinals had no chance. Um, we mentioned earlier some of the coaches that the disappointed in this round. Um, some of the others, you know, like uh, Cliff Kingsbury, his team was not ready to go. I think so either. Bill Belichick, I love Bill. I mean, he's the greatest to ever do it, but the Patriots were clearly outmanned. I mean, they came out so slow from the jump. Um, you know, the Raiders, I think, you know, it was a competitive game, but I thought that they looked – slow that they looked like they were still exhausted from that overtime win against the chargers uh from sunday night earlier that that's kind of what i thought those other teams that lost what did you take away from those other teams that were knocked out the, the teams are knocked out well the raiders have they went as far as they possibly could yes i mean that and i thought that they played hard um i don't want to hear that the whistle was the difference in that game because that definitely was not the difference Replay that down, the Bengals are going to score. It's just whether it's that down or on that possession. Um, 
I think they played with a lot of heart. I think they came out and played above their heads and their their value. I think the biggest thing the Raiders have got to do is figure out their quarterback situation is going to be. And I think it speaks really highly that Derek Carr is not coming back when Mike Mayock got fired this week. Because that was, I mean, that was a Gruden Mayock guy. And I think a new GM and a new coach are not going to want to take Derek Carr as their franchise quarterback, knowing how easy it's going to be to get rid of him. Um, speaking of that, with moving on from Mayock, um, you know, the roster got better all three years he was there. Yes. But ultimately, he still gets fired after making the playoffs this year. Did the Raiders make the right decision moving on from Mayock? I think it's because it's a, it's a, it was a Mayock Gruden kind of pr- production, if you will. I mean, that was every move was made hand in hand. You know, the guys who are in that locker room, the guys on that team, those are Gruden guys that Mayock went and found or they've done together. I would say that Gruden probably had as much to do with personnel as Mayock does, which you have to have that relationship between those two. I think firing Mike Mayock isn't a knock on the team or even how it's constructed. I think it's just a knock on they were going to go hire a coach. They're going to hire a coach and a GM combo. You know, they're going to, we're going to see some coaches and general managers come together and say, hire us both as a team. I think we'll see that in Minnesota. I think we'll see that in Las Vegas. Um, I can't think of a couple other places I can't tell off the top of my head, but those are the big two. I think we're going to see that. It's going to be, you know, if if someone's going to hire, say, an Eric Bieniemy, it's going to be that, he's going to work with a particular general manager. You know, so he's already talking to somebody and saying, hey, I want this guy as the GM. That GM saying, I want this guy as the coach. I think we're going to see stuff like that in a couple of these. And I think the Raiders was one of them. Yeah, I don't think that was a bad um, – I don't think the firing had to do with how poorly or, you know, not so well Mayock did. I think it just had more to do with the situation. Well, and, and it was weird because they were searching for GMs before they even fired Mayock. And they said yeah. Mayock still could have kept that job potentially. So that was a, yeah. a weird ordeal. I wonder. I, I think the know, Derek Carr thing is a big part of that. I think the fact that they could have got out of his contract this offseason and they chose not to, I think that's what spoke to Mark Davis more than anything else. I don't think Derek Carr is a Mark Davis kind of guy. Um. What I wonder, too, is you look at what Mayock did. He did okay. He didn't do great. He didn't do bad. And, you know, he was picked from television from the NFL Network and such. Do you think that there's still a market for Mike Mayock? Can he still be a GM, or do you think he's going back to the media world? Um, My guess is he's probably going back to the media world initially. Um, you, You just never know. I don't think he ends up with one of these jobs that are open now. I don't think he's done because I don't. I think the hire of Mayock had to do as much of hiring Mayock and Gruden together, kind of Mayock's eye for certain. I like to say that Mike Mayock's kind of a super scout as a GM, and so he's saying, "Okay, you know, Gruden, what do you want in these positions? I'll find the player," and they find the player that way. Um, I don't know that's going to work with everybody. And I don't know that he was the best numbers and dollars and cents guy. I just don't know. I don't have a reference on that. But uh, I think that scouting-wise, that's what they did. 
I think that he'd be a really good assistant general manager somewhere. Um, you know, I could see him going somewhere where you have an older GM who may be thinking he's on his last legs or something like that, or maybe a place where a GM has been there a long time and they need to do a drastic change. Mike Mayock would be a really great fit in Pittsburgh. They're looking for a GM. That would be a place I would say he might fit because it's someone who has to change the overall landscape of how the, the roster is built. I think Mike Mayock is the guy who'd be a great fit for someone like Houston with the right coach to go in and change how the roster's built and to really be doing it from scratch there. Um, it's going to be something like that. It's not going to be somewhere where they have some people in place already. They think they need to tweak two or three things and they're almost there. I don't see that being a good fit for Mike Mayock. Speaking of Pittsburgh, they're looking for a new GM. Kevin Colbert's retired. And obviously they're going to have to replace Big Ben. Mason Rudolph's still there. Dwayne Haskins has indicated he wants to stay around and, and fight for that job if given the chance. And, and Mike Tomlin has said publicly that they have no clear direction where they're going next year. What do you think about the Steelers going forward, replacing Big Ben, and then also just moving on as a franchise this post-Big Ben era of a Steeler football here? I think they've done a really poor job of what they're having a plan. A real poor job of having a plan moving forward. I think they sold out to Ben too much of trying to keep him happy, yeah, I mean, pay him. They don't, yeah. I mean, they, they did everything they could to keep Big Ben happy. Um, Dwayne Hassens is their backup quarterback. They've got Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph is only under contract for one more year. And the Steelers don't even know what they have in him. We talked about that in the offseason. I mean, you and I were talking about that in February and March of 2021. We said if they're going to keep Ben Roethlisberger, they're going to have to figure out what they've got with Mason Rudolph, because if not, they're going to be in a really bad situation. And that's where they're at now. One car, it, it's, it's one quarterback under contract. Uh, what I think we're going to see with a number of teams, this quarterback class coming out of college is not real strong. And there's not a lot of guys who will be day one franchise guys. So I think the guys who are going to be free agents or guys who can be traded, there are going to be some. There's going to be some audiences for that. Whether that's Pittsburgh, Denver, uh, Minnesota, possibly. I think. I think Kirk Cousins got a got a new deal, didn't he? But uh, I, I think going back to your original question of the Steelers, I think the big thing there is they don't know if they have a quarterback. You bring in a new GM. The GM's going to have Tomlin. Well, so whose mind does this get built around? You know, what what offense do they want to run? What are they going to do with a quarterback? I'd like to see. I, the Steelers do have a lot of cap space. Once they get Roethlisberger's contract off, which is $10 million more, it saves them. No dead money. They're going to have about $53 million in the salary cap. So, and if the salary cap does go up, which we expect it to, they'll have even more. So they can be a player for a top, notch available quarterback the one that everybody wants is going to cost a lot of draft cap capital and i don't think the steelers have what the packers are going to want for that quarterback yeah um and, and what i'm talking about people who don't read between the lines rogers is going to be available mm -hmm. rogers is good as gone 
because they can't get anything for Jordan Love. It's either they play Jordan Love or they have to trade him. And they can't get anything for Jordan Love, but they can get a lot for Aaron Rodgers. And there's just no – there's not a lot of teams that have the draft capital that a couple of teams like the Dolphins and the and the Broncos do. So I, I, I could see Aaron Rodgers would be a great stealer. He would be a guy that would fit in great there. And the, the, who they are, their, you know, that mentality, I just don't see that fitting what he wants. I don't see him – I don't see the Steelers having the, the, the picks to get him. You have to give up too much. And the Packers are going to want a bunch of draft picks. And there's um, going to be other teams that have that capital. Yeah, they do. I mean, the two I've already mentioned, the Broncos and the Dolphins are the first two. Um, I think you're going to see a couple other spots open up. We've already got well, – New Orleans is going to need a quarterback. You know, what's going to happen with Russell Wilson? Is he going to be available? You know, the Giants are going to have an opening. There's going to be lots of places that have openings. The Raiders are going to have an opening. I think Derek Carr is good as gone. Derek Carr is going to be starting quarterback somewhere next year. It's not in Las Vegas. You know, what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? Could someone make a deal there? You know, that may be one of those draft day kind of things. I, I don't know. I, I think that going back to the question of the Steelers, Steelers are in an interesting spot, and it's going to all come down to who their new GM is and what is his relationship with Mike Tom. And, again, be frank, I'd let Tomlin go and I'd hire a combo against. That's not the Steelers' way. That's never been the Steelers' way. And they've only had three coaches. And they're very adamant about the Steeler way. Yeah. And, and Tomlin's been there 15 years. I mean, it, it, I think it's – I mean, everybody has a shelf life. I think Mike Tomlin's running the hills. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not – he's been a great he's – look, he's been a great coach there. He's done very well in that lineage. And that lineage is a hell of a lineage. Mm-hmm. You know, there are things I haven't liked that he's done, but I think he's been great, like great, great. I just think his time's kind of passed the situation now. Yeah. Um, last thing before we uh, wrap up here, these uh, head coach openings, uh, still open at this point in time, these seven jobs. I have not been filled at this point. Where do you think uh, things are going to end up here? Do you think we're going to get some answers here soon? I, well, they'll have a moratorium Super Bowl week, which is still four weeks away. So I think some teams are higher in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Teams are waiting. A lot of teams are waiting for Dallas to lose because they wanted to interview both those coaches. Um, I think Dan Quinn is going to get a job sooner than later. I think that's going to happen probably the next week, 10 days. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of just the openings that are out there right now. I, I teams are going to wait on B enemy. So I think that's going to cause a little bit of a, I think a lot of teams will wait on B enemy, at least for the interviews and see what they've got there. Um, I can see Jacksonville making a decision quick. If they like, if they like bowls or left, which and they decide that's the ones they're going to go with, um, you know, the things that, I heard Bill O'Brien interviewed for the Jaguars and it did not go well. Hmm, imagine that. I heard that they had an interview for two hours and that the execs were on the plane within 30 minutes. That I was like, okay, that means Bill O'Brien's not getting that job, which is a good thing. He's a, he'd be a terrible hire in Jacksonville. Um, I expect Jacksonville to have a head coach in the next two or three weeks. 
I, and I know that won't be Dan Quinn. He turned down an a, a, um, interview with them. Um, I expect Dan Quinn to get hired somewhere quickly. Uh, I can't really predict where a lot of things are. I think there's a, a couple of them are going to be waiting on Brian Dayball from the Buffalo Bills, the enemy. Um, who else am I thinking of right now? I know Green Bay's offensive coordinator is getting some looks. Um, and then both the coordinators from Tampa. So a lot of teams is going to end on, you know, now that first week, some teams will let their coordinators interview. But yeah. now we're getting down to best tags. No one's letting any coordinators interview this week and next. That's just not going to happen. Maybe the week between the uh, conference championship and the Super Bowl. But I don't suspect. I think we'll see a couple teams higher. Most probably won't until Super Bowl week. Yeah, uh, you're right about mm-hmm. that. So. Yeah. There you have it. That's uh, the football fix here on the Jones Report. Coach Bo, you can check him out online, oagks.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com as well. Bo, uh, plug the podcast one more time for us as well. Okay, yeah, the Coach Bo Knows podcast. You can check us out on uh, Mondays and Fridays. Mondays right now we're doing kind of review of the, of the football game of the NFL weekend uh, before that, and then I'll do a Coach Bo's rant on something. Uh, related to some kind of sporting event or sport person. And then um, Token Girl, Ellen Wingenter, and I will do the .5 pod, as we call it, which is Friday. We just do – we just shotgun it. We just spray it out and talk about a lot of stuff. We'll preview games for the playoffs, but we'll also be talking a lot of different sports and a lot of different stuff going on there. So, And that's not all sports. We'll talk about some fun stuff on there as well outside of sports and have some fun with that. So, and always check out OAGKS.com for all your financial needs. Hey, we're ready for you. And this year, a new year, new us. Everyone's thinking, you know, got to get my money right. Come give us a shout. He's Brian O'Connor, Coach Bo. Check him out. The Coach Bo Knows Podcast for Connor Advisor Group. Bo, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, thank you, You mean a lot to me. Uh, thank you so much for everything, Bo. Hey, man, I, I have a blast doing this every week. Thanks for having me on. Always. Take care, bud. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. I want to get to our Big 12 basketball breakdown. And told you at the top of the show about the uh, Kansas-Oklahoma game I went to on Tuesday night where Kansas squeaked by that Oklahoma team with uh, the go-ahead three-pointer by uh, Christian Brown. And I want to start out with the Jayhawks this week. You know, we, we were talking to Derek a little bit about Kansas as well. And this Kansas team is so talented talent level-wise, as good as any team in college basketball. But they've yet to put it together, in a sense, where they've looked complete. And for the most part, it's been their presence down low that they have not been able to defend the post, whether it's David McCormick or Mitch Lightfoot. They don't have the consistency to do so in those positions there. And then you had a couple other scares this past week. There was rumors about Remy Martin – the transfer from Arizona State who they brought in that kind of got off to a slow start to this year that after an injury he suffered, if he was going to leave the program or not. But ultimately, he still played Tuesday night after coming back from injury. And Bill Self uh, went on a a little uh, F-bomb tirade uh, talking about the noise uh, that people just don't know what's going on. And, you know, I've always said that a pissed-off Bill Self will always be my favorite. And that, that was great to see that from Bill the other night. Um, 
So you had that. Ocha Baji suffered an injury in the Oklahoma game, and that scared some folks of if it was season ending or not. He ultimately came back and played. And so every year, and Tom's been following Kansas basketball a long time, so he knows this too. There's always these peaks and valleys of a Kansas basketball season when Kansas fans panic and act like, you know, the world is going to come crashing down and such. And, and uh, you know, especially in the years when the Big 12 streak was going on, all the overreactions of, oh, you know, you know they're, they're, they're two games back to the Big 12. The streak's going to end this year. And then they'd still win the league by three games or whatever. Okay, this Kansas team's got some problems. Sure, um, it's not perfect, but – you know, they'll play through, and I am I am not concerned as most people are. Uh, I think this team will figure itself out. They're still winning basketball games. They're still right up there among the top of the Big 12 Conference, and we're not even to February yet. So uh, the level of concern for me right now, if I had to put it between 1 and 10, I would put it at about a 5 right now. Tom, do you think that's fair? Uh for Kansas fans, do you think that the level of concern about a five out of 10, does that feel about right? You think? I think that's fair. I mean, it's still, you know, as long as you're still winning, you know, a lot of the times the tough games, you know, will do more for a team than just blowing people out. So I'm a, you know, if you're still winning those, these games, I believe, you know, some tough games where you're fighting for the win, you know, see the OUKU game. Um, you know, down to the last second, I think that builds a lot more, you know, for your team than just blowing them out by 20 each night. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you're right about that. Uh, how about Baylor? Um, 16 and two on the year and, uh, 12, they'll, they'll take on 12 and six Oklahoma on uh, Saturday and uh, the Bears, uh, with uh, that 16-2 record, they fall to number five in the country after losing Texas Tech and Oklahoma State last week. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about concern. They won 15 in a row. They looked great to start out the year. And they lose those two games. They didn't look great when they played West Virginia this past week, but still found a way to win. Um, when I look at Baylor right now, Tom, as, uh, as far as that word concern goes – I, I'm I'm not worried about Baylor either. I would put the level of concern maybe a three or a four. Yes, that was a rough week last week. Losing back-to-back games is not fun. And losing to an Oklahoma State team that's barely above 500, that's not fun. I get that. But that Oklahoma State team is very talented. They can win on any given night, as we saw last week. Uh, Baylor played a bit over their heads in that 15-game stretch. I think it was just a coming-to-earth moment of some sorts. Baylor is 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 going to be okay. Yeah, I mean they'll be fine. Um, you know, you know, just in the same in the same breath. Um, you know, I could say even losing a couple is is good for your team. Just you know, to take your team and see how they you know face adversity. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams that go undefeated only to lose, you know, you know, like being upset and by 16 seed. You can call and ask Virginia um, how that feels of, uh, you know, having such a great season and, you know, perfect record and then getting upset, you know, that you'd, you'd rather have it happen now than later. Uh, I don't want to make excuses for any losses, but, you know, when your team's a f- surefire lock to make the NCAA tournament 
as a fan, I think you want a couple losses to, you know, you don't want your team, obviously you don't want a couple losses come right before the tournament, but, you know, mid-season, you know, whatever. You're going to make the tournament, you're going to be there. You don't have to have a perfect record. You know, football, sure, it's nice, and basketball, it's almost um, it's almost impossible. I mean, it's been done before, but it's, you know, if your team can can take a couple, couple you know, a couple losses on the chin – I think it does better for your program than not, to be honest. If I if I was a coach, well, I'm not encouraging, know, but if it happens. Look at that national title game last year when Baylor kicked the snot out of Gonzaga and exposed a lot of their weaknesses. If Gonzaga would have lost a game in the regular season and saw some of those weaknesses, because that's what losses do, they expose your weaknesses. If they would have figured those out, Ahead of time, wouldn't that have been better off for them going into that game against Baylor, the national title game? I think so. So you raise a good point there, Tom, uh, as far as that goes, and what losses can do, what you can learn from losses. I mean, even college football, look at it. Georgia, learn from the loss against Alabama, what their weaknesses are. They fixed them and they beat Alabama again. So, yeah, it's a good point there. Um, the, the other teams in the Big 12, uh, Iowa State, 14 and four, uh, ranked 15th in the country. Texas Tech, 14 and four as well. They're ranked 18th in the country. Texas at 13 and five, ranked 23rd. And Texas, of course, preseason top team, uh, you know, really, you know, stumbled for a bit, but uh, here they are, find themselves hanging on to the uh, top 25 there at uh, this point. I, I like what all those teams have. Um, you know, th- this weekend, you know, we just saw Oklahoma State beat Texas, what was it, two weeks ago in Stillwater. And now you turn around and play in Austin here. Um, Texas, they, they better come to play because Oklahoma State, despite what their record shows of 10 and 7, between beating Texas and beating Baylor in the last two weeks, this team isn't messing around. They're going to come prepared uh, looking for victory in, in Austin on, on Saturday, Tom. You know, and they just got the big hangover game out of the way last night against TCU on 57-56. It's very atypical of OSU to win a big game and then lose the next one to a team they shouldn't end up beating TCU. Yeah, they could be riding high. Um, you know, it'll be, I feel like, it'll maybe a lot harder to play in Austin. But I have seen uh, pictures of, of you know, the crowd in Austin. Doesn't look very doesn't look very packed in that building. Um, but yeah, you're right. They better come to play. I, I think, you know, OSU, they don't really, what are they fighting for pride at this point? I mean, you can't get to the NCAA tournament, um, but they're, they're still hanging tough. Oh yeah. I've heard Austin described Tom. That's, that's a wine and cheese crowd. That's what I've heard. That's what I've, that's what it looks like. I thought, man, you think for a Texas team, it's actually pretty good. You think they'd show up? You know, if your basketball team's doing a lot better than your football team, you think the fans would show up. But, uh, you know, I don't know how they'd say keep things weird down in Austin. And I think that's pretty weird that the stadium's not packed. Right, right. Uh, Oklahoma, let's uh, let's talk about the Sooners here. Uh, This team, they're on a a bit of a losing streak right now. They've lost three in a row. Uh, You know, they, they haven't won a game since they beat Iowa State back on January 8th, but they lost to Texas by 14 on the road, lose to TCU in overtime last Saturday, lose that nail-biter to Kansas on Tuesday night, and here's what they have still ahead. The next three games, Baylor, 
at home, West Virginia on the road, and then next Saturday, the Big 12 SEC Challenge against second-ranked Auburn on the road. Talk about a, a tough stretch for the Sooners here, Tom. Oklahoma on a three-game losing streak, and, and it doesn't look pretty. They, they very well could lose the next three games and, and lose six in a row here. I think Oklahoma, uh, you know, they, they should beat West Virginia, but I, I don't know about those other two here. I mean, this is a, a rough go for what's ahead for this Sooners team, a good Sooners team, but just overmatched in some of these cases. Yeah, it'll be interesting losing a heartbreaker against KU like that. Um, be interesting to see how they, you know, how Porter Mosier has his team ready. And, you know, so it's tough to, you know, I mean, OU was up however many points against KU. And for KU to come back, um, you know, in Norman, uh, the, you know, how strong is your mindset, especially when you got a tough couple of games up. And you, I mean, you mentioned West Virginia. Uh, Huggy Bear's no joke. So, uh, you know, it's not 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 crazy to say they might be on a losing streak here before too long. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So uh, there you have it. That's our look around the uh, Big 12 conference this week or a Big 12 breakdown here on the Jones Report. Last thing before we call it a day, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Thomas Bridges is standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where shall we head to this time? Jones, we're going to the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I ask you, because I've never been to one, have you been to an axe-throwing place? I've not. I've wanted to, but I've never done it. There are a couple here in Tulsa, and I just have not went. And I'll tell you one of the reasons that I – this sounds total like an alcoholic, but I'll tell on myself. I have not been to an axe-throwing place because, okay, for one, you can't drink – at these axe throwing places for obvious reasons right for obvious reasons and i agree with that uh you know and and i don't have to go and drink everywhere i go but throwing an axe is not very high on my list if i wanted to throw something down a lane i'm gonna go get a pitcher of beer and head to the bowling alley um you know how many times you're on a cleanse right now maybe this is your opportunity to go throw some axes Right. I mean, that is very true. I am on a cleanse. I will tell you that I'm going to break the cleanse when I go to Tampa Bay. Uh, that's just how it's going to be. Uh, you don't go to a divisional playoff game 1,200 miles away every day. So I will break that, and then I'll get right back on. Uh, at least that's the plan. But that being said, I could. I could go do that. Um, for what it's worth... Washington does not think the same, the state of Washington, that is. Um, in Jones, there is one axe-throwing place in the state of Washington that has a liquor license. And I guess people are finally coming to terms and say, well, if they, if they have their liquor license, this other axe place should be able to have their liquor license. This comes from whatever KUOW is, um, NPR Brandon blade and timber this little top picture shows an old girl throwing an axe and caption is blade and timber is the only axe throwing business in washington state with a liquor license here's where it comes the state is drafting new rules that could pave the way for more businesses in the future washington drafting new rules so patrons can safely throw axes and drink alcohol i don't think it's possible that's just the title of the the article itself right there i'm stopping 
It's just, it's just not. This is something's going to go bad. I'm not going to a place. It's, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be crazy and 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 throw this out there or say this, but I'm gonna go. Tell me if I'm overhyping this. Drinking alcohol at an axe throwing range is just about every bit as dangerous as allowing drinking at a shooting range. Yes. Shooting range obviously probably can kill you quicker. I don't know. It depends on where you get hit by the axe. I mean, axes are sharp enough to go into a big block of wood. People are throwing them at high enough speeds. Uh, you know. And this is not good. You also have to think about, too, people that have already drank before they even got there and started drinking. Right. And I'm pretty sure you probably have to sign a waiver. I'm probably, I'm going to haven't even read the article yet. Um, but I'm guessing that's probably what's going to happen. If you choose to drink here, or pretty much even if you walk in the place, someone drunk could throw an axe and hit you, even if you choose not to drink. It's probably going to happen is to drink, to go to an establishment where they serve liquor and you can throw axes. Everyone coming in that joint's got to sign a waiver before they even get to the axe throwing lane. That's what's going to happen. Let me see if I'm right. Article starts off, throwing darts is a classic pub game, but many Washingtons, Washingtonians prefer throwing something else, axes. Now the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board is aiming to toss new rules at businesses that mix alcohol with axes. So stupid. Listen, I'm all for crazy shit, and I've done a lot of crazy stuff like maybe not throwing an axe and drinking, but I'm sure I have. Um, at its recent meeting, the board set the process in motion to develop new rules for a liquor licensed business that want to offer axe throwing as entertainment. For the record, I'm not a fan of axe throwing, said board chair David Postman. Nonetheless, he voted to go through with a rulemaking process known as CR 101. In this inquiry phase, the board is considering new rules to address safety concerns when allowing a high-risk activity. CR 101 does not commit us to any action in the future, Postman said. It allows the process to keep going and would not harm the timeline if, in fact, we end up going forward with this. Since 2018, the agency has been receiving liquor license applications from businesses that already offer axe throwing, also from licensed drinking establishments that want to add it in as an attraction. Only one business in Washington can currently offer axe throwing and serve alcohol. Bladen Timber in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood opened in 2019, but not did not get approval to serve alcohol until this April, that being 2021. Owner Matt Basinger and his liquor license application was denied twice. It took a lot of back and forth with the state before sides reached a settlement agreement. The goal was, how can we create systems and structures and safety nets that ensure that axe throwing and alcohol can go hand in hand and that it can be done safely, Basinger said. The board granted Basinger a liquor license for a year as a pilot program. As part of the settlement, Blade and Timber could only serve a max of two beers per customer. Okay, I I cool with that the settlement can be a blueprint for the, the new rules being developed to deal with safety while throwing axes and drinking alcohol so jones it's not a waiver it's just you can have two beers max but who is stopping them from coming in all liquored up and then drinking the two more beers yeah i mean <laughs> beer before liquor never been sicker liquor before beer you're in the clear so yeah i mean you show up Liquor it up, and then you go pound two more beers, and man, you're you're at it. Listen, I've pregame multiple events. I, everybody's 
that's been to a football game before they started serving beer, a college football game, has literally pre-gamed the football game. Used to do it all the time. I will even say I've uh, years and years ago, in my early OSU college days, have snuck liquor in, in a boot. Happens still. It's not nobody, even though, even though you can get liquor in boom pickings now, it's crazy. Had two liquor drinks at Bedlam. Insane. Um, they have Jack Daniels on tap. I don't think I've told that story, but we'll leave that for another day. We're talking about actually throwing a liquor, not throwing a football. Uh, I think it's stupid. I think it's one of the stupidest things. I don't even care if it's two beers. Uh, I'm pretty uh, left-leaning on crazy stuff like this. Of like, yeah, sure. You know, take a shot. Take a shot of liquor while you're throwing an act. Usually that's probably what you would expect out of me. No, this is the dumbest thing. Uh, this is, you know, we usually try to do like funny tomfooleries. I don't, this is more on the, on the other side of tomfoolery is just plain stupid. And I did not guess it would be Washington state that would be doing this. I figured it'd be a state like Mississippi. Um, you know, nothing against Mississippi, but I mean, Ole Miss is one of the only wet campuses that I can recall. Um, so that being said, Jones, this is a terrible idea. Like, someone is definitely getting an axe in a place that will permanently damage him for life. It won't be me. Oh, man. This was one of those, before we even read the article, we could see how bad of an idea this was. Yeah, and I don't. I just don't know. Listen, you can already smoke pot legally in Washington. I'm sure there's a great cocktail places in Seattle. Um, the weather, granted, it's rainy, but it's a nice temp most of the time. Listen, you can do all this outdoor sh- If you want to drink, if you want to get drunk and throw axes, listen, there's a lot of outdoor sh- in Washington. Um, there's a lot of timber in Washington, right? There's, there's a lot of trees. There is a lot of wood. There is a lot of outdoor space for activities. If you want to get drunk and throw an axe, do it at your house. Do it at your house. Don't push the limits of, well, they offer axe throwing, so they better, you know, if you want to throw an axe, do it at your house if you want to drink. Um, this just- feels like a step below <laughs> of offering alcohol at a gun range. Could you imagine how bad of an idea that'd be? You know what? Maybe Washington State's going to be the first one to do it. Uh, you know, I don't know that they wouldn't be. I just think it'd be just going to be a terrible. It's someone's. I don't. I'm not going to say someone's going to die. Someone's definitely getting hit by an axe. I can already tell you that there is. I'm sure there are incidents I could easily look. Um, well, I'm just going to do it just because I said it. Um, axe ranges without alcohol are already somewhat dangerous. Throwing place injury. Look at this. Uh, let's see. Has anyone died in an axe throwing place? While it appears no, to, there's no known fatalities or serious injuries have occurred in axe throwing bar. Dangerous situations have already occurred in the U.S. A part of them. That was a that was in 2019. Um. Okay, here we go. This is in April 9th, 2019. Unsurprisingly, someone almost got axed at an axe throwing bar. Uh, and there's a video, and I've seen these videos. They throw it at 
the wooden wall and the rubber stopper on the handle ends up hitting the wall and the axe comes flying back and hits him. Um, you know, it's already dangerous. They say one woman at a Colorado axe throwing bar almost wound up taking a hatchet to the face recently when the axe she threw bounced off her wooden target and claim came flying right back towards her. Luckily, the woman Ainsley was either relatively sober or possessed parahuman reflexes, maybe some combination of the two, because she somehow managed to duck the axe right it was rocketing towards her head. And her accident was caught on film by Ainsley's friend, and the footage is basically enough to give you a panic attack. I've seen this video. It's like nine seconds. Whoop. Yeah, and if that had hit her in the face, she's a pretty girl too. She would have gotten fucked up. Uh, I mean, you know, that, see, and there's even safety. This is uh, Brooklyn's kick act going, assuming it's Brooklyn, New York. Every guest who throws an axe at Sutter Venue is required to participate in a 15 minute safety and training tutorial where we demonstrate proper throwing mechanics, procedures, and handling of axes. See? Cool. Sure, axe throwing bars may be safer than getting drunk and shooting your buddy in a bulletproof vest. I think we did that at uh, this, is this side article. Um, I'm sure I'm pretty sure we covered that one where they shot each other to see if the bulletproof vest worked. Yeah, we definitely did this one as a Tom Fullery some time ago. Yeah, Jones, it's just so dumb. Like someone's gonna get axed, right? They even mention it. You know, she might, she must have been sober if she ducked it. Okay, if you're not sober and she doesn't duck it, she's getting uh, definitely stitches and maybe a closed casket funeral. Like. I just, this is, we haven't done a whole lot of just stupid tomfooleries lately. Maybe the, the last one I can think of that was just sheer stupidity uh, was the, you know, the guy at the Kid Rock bar attacking the cops um, while like naked. That one, that one was pretty sheer stupidity. This is just a dumb idea. I don't even know what to say. I mean, there's no way I'm walking into a bar where you can, uh, an axe throwing bar where you can drink. You know, if you want to throw something, tell you what's relatively safe while drinking, and I do it all the time, darts. If you want to throw something sharp at a board, you don't need to be throwing an axe. You can throw a dart. Well, you know, and darts, usually it's the plastic kind that hit the board, but there's a bar that I go to by my house that has the sharp tip darts, steel tip darts. In a dartboard. And, you know, from what I understand, no one's really ever been hurt. Um, but a dart is a lot different than an axe. If I get hit with an axe, I'm going to the hospital. If I get hit with a steel tip dart, I'm just going to be pissed. Right. Um, one more for you as we're wrapping up. Speaking of, you know, beer games and uh, and throwing stuff, what's the, what's the best game with beer involved for me i think of it as cornhole like you know you got to have a cold beer and like a a cheap domestic like pbr or bud light or something in hand and playing cornhole you're about two beers in that's when i'm at my prime of cornhole when i'm out between like my second and fourth beer after that then uh i'm not great and you know i need it to loosen me up i think that's when i'm in my prime position in cornhole that that second or third or fourth beer you know, you said two beers, you're in your prime. Maybe you'd be prime at axe throwing two beers in and hit the limit. Um, you know, I like cornhole with the beer. We always play, you know, we didn't really play a whole lot this summer, but 
friends and I like to play Can Jam. Have you ever played that? I don't think so. Can Jam, it's like a short little bucket with a slot in it. And there's two on each side spaced however many feet apart. You throw a Frisbee and your partner's on the other side, kind of like in Cornell. Um, and you have to hit the Frisbee in the top of the little bucket. And if you do, it's three points. If you hit it directly in, if the Frisbee flies and you hit the Frisbee in the air and it hits the side of it, it's one point. And if you throw it through the slot, which I've only done like twice because it's very hard, uh, automatic game ender. Um, when you come this summer and visit and we have a party at Jose's or something like that, we'll play Can Jam. Um, that one, we always say you have to have a beer in hand um, for it to count. So it's a one-hand Can Jam. But my favorite drinking game that involves throwing something has to be beer pong. Oh, yes. That's a classic. I love that. That's, that's my favorite. Um, never, never throwing axes, though. Speaking of our uh, buddy, Jose, uh, who may be listening right now, shout out, Jose. Um, I was hanging out with him last weekend, and they were playing uh, a beer game I'd never heard of called uh, called Hurricane. I don't think I've ever played that with them. They must have been – I don't even know what that entails. So, basically, uh, you have this ball that you bounce into a cup of beer – and like you have to bounce it you can't just throw it in it has to bounce in and it's two people at a time going and whoever uh misses whoever uh gets it first uh the, the loser has to drink the beer or something and it goes on and on and that sounds like a lot of beers drank in a very short amount of time yes yes indeed it was we gotta go Big thanks to Derek Hagelin for joining us uh, on the show today, as well as Coach Bo. And check out O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com as well. Also, my guys at BetUS.com, they got you covered this weekend as uh, we're talking divisional round uh, playoff betting as you get a chance to uh, bet on some games. And you can also check out betting on the NBA and the NHL and and, uh, you know, other sports going on this weekend. Put your bets in. Use that promo code JONES22 at checkout for 125% off your first deposit and 200% if you use crypto. That's on BetUS.com with the promo code JONES22. So check that out there. And uh, as always, check out the Studio Soapbox Network. This show out each and every Thursday. And then uh, the Let's Go Racing with David Starr podcast out on Wednesdays. Raw Tools with Luke Slaybaugh on uh, Tuesdays. And Coach Bo's got you covered with the Coach Bo Dose podcast on Mondays and Fridays. And the Bebo Boys also out on Mondays as well. You can uh, subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Follow me on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live. Thomas at Thomas underscore Bridges, Studio Soapbox, Studio underscore Soapbox, Facebook.com forward slash Toggler Jones Live, Facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox, and uh, Instagram, Toggler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. That does it for another edition of the Jones Sport this week. For Thomas Bridges and our entire crew, I'm Toggler Jones saying so long. We'll see you next week right here on the Jones Sport.